Welcome to Veteran State of Mind. I'm your host, Garrett Jones, and today we have another podcast host on the show uh, with us. Um, also, uh, we're actually part of the same battle group. Um, actually, no, we weren't. Sorry, I'm telling a lie. I was part of his battle group, uh, his battalion's battle group, but his company got detached down into Sangin. So there you go. I'm giving away a bit of the story. Uh, it's going to involve um, scrapping down in Sangin, 2009. Obviously, you couldn't uh, imagine how that went. Um, before we get into it, I want to say a massive thank you to our sponsors, Combat Fuel, Zulu Alpha Straps, and the Royal British Legion. We'll talk a bit about a bit about a bit more about them during the podcast. Um, please do support these companies, guys, when they come around. Please do listen to the ads. Try and make them as entertaining as, as is possible for an advertisement to be. Do me a bit for capitalism. Um, if you're looking for Christmas presents, if you're looking for juicy gains, then check these guys out. All right. Without further ado, please give a very warm welcome to today's guest, Mr. David Harding Pryor, or as he's known to his mates, Dave HP, or as I call him, Dave Reorg, because he is the host of the Reorg podcast. Please give a very warm welcome to Mr. Dave HP. Dave, welcome to the podcast, mate. Um, we'll, we're not gonna, I'm not going to tell the listeners what was just going on before we came on camera. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, mate, it's good to have you on at last, mate. I'm glad we've been able to, finally been able to sit down and get this happening. Yeah, thanks for having us on, mate. Um... Yeah, I appreciate it. It's uh, an honour to be on. Well, mate, we got a lot to talk about, but I think probably the way to kind of go about it is to to start really at the beginning of your military journey. Um, mm-hmm. And one of the things I'm always really interested to to know about people is is if you had something kind of in you from an early age that steered you towards the military. Well, school is all about sport for me, so. Um, yeah, I would, yeah, I was just playing sport my whole, whole life as a kid, you know, four or five times a week. Uh, I wasn't academic at all. You know, I say I've got A-levels, but they're very piss-poor A-levels. You know, I've got a C and three E's in the C's in sports studies. So, um, I mean, I'm surprised I even got A-levels in maths because, and then English because I'm solid. But I got it, but, you know, it was all about sport. Um, and then, you know, we're all fighting little kids really um and then yeah i was like well i'm either going to be a professional football or not football player professional sportsman of some sort it was rugby at the time or i'm going to join the army because you get paid to run around so i was like it's a no-brainer really how, how did you get into um like sports and stuff though just just being a kid you know playing football football started when i was a kid in in pompey playing football in the, in the estate and just carrying on from there and then school sucked anyway and i guess as i got older i realized if i got rid of sport i missed out on school so mm. it was a uh, i was like i'll just focus on that yeah just got into all sorts of sports mate fucking athletics i even played hockey at one point i don't know how, but i think it's because i've got i was a goalie mate and i just became a goalie at hockey and right. it got me off sport at school for a little bit so i did that i think that's one of the things in this country we don't do as well as say america because they're you know, like they have schools very like for us. I know, I know there are sports teams and stuff at school, but I don't know if you had the same experience. For me, most sport was outside the school. Mm. Yeah, it was like local clubs and everything like that. Did you have a similar kind of experience? See, I was very lucky because although I grew up in at, at the age of eleven, my mum married someone else, and we moved to Australia and oh. lived in Sydney for five years, and that is a completely different 
like the one thing I've always said is I remember I remember playing football in a, in Australia or doing athletics or something missing school when my teachers when I came back to miss to from missing a lesson my um my teachers would be like oh how'd you get on you know did you win you know they'd be interested and then I um I got to when I came back to the UK I did my levels in the UK and uh one of the teachers I missed a lesson because I qualified for the English schools mm. athletics in javelin or something. It was the only one from the whole school, and the teacher was fuming that I missed a lesson. I was like, I just fucking qualified for the English, for the only person in the whole school to do so, and your threat is at me for missing a shitty lesson. Yeah, like there's a different mentality. May I totally agree. Like I found that really kind of true here. I think in America would be the, like a great example of it where. Obviously, there are people that get college scholarships and then do very little actual college work except play American football. But I think in the main, it encourages this like a, a symbiosis of like um, sports. It, well, it's, I guess what it is is just achievement across the board, really. And it's not like you know, it's not like look to be achieved to achieve in academics means you can't achieve in sports. You know, achievement is the aim rather than academics for the sake of academics. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, England is a different kettle of fish. I mean, I was the, the school. It's, it's crazy. My my life transitioned a lot. I, you know, I grew up in a council state from from the get go. If anyone knows Pompey, it was the flats as you come in on the A A twenty seven. It's a horrible thing. Uh, Buckland, it's rough as fuck. And then I grew up in Australia, and it was like complete contrast. But in Australia, I was very lucky, and like university was not a thing. Like I think. Out of our school, maybe two or three people went to uni. It was more like uh, apprenticeships and things like that. And then people would go to maybe college or go straight into work. And then when I came back to England, the school I was at was quite a quite a nice school. But it was all about university. Mm. Like they didn't care about anything else. And I knew I was joining the army from about, well, from I finished year 12 and I was like, I'm joining the army. So I didn't really care about year 13. I only stayed. Right. I only stayed in school because I like playing rugby. That's okay, literally yeah, yeah. the only reason why I stayed. And I had mates there. So I was like, well, I'll stay for another year and then I'll join the army. Yeah, it's it's weird, isn't it? We, we, we put this funnel on sending everybody to uni or like, oh, uni has to be where you go. And it's now I just think like. I think, well, obviously now we've in the country, like our generation, I think was probably like the start of that or not necessarily the start of it, but definitely in the middle of it. But And now we're kind of seeing that that's just totally devalued university mm. education. And now all that's happening is people are coming out with debt. They can't get it. It's not helping them because it was always before. It's like, you're okay, you're going to go away. You're going to put in the time. It's going to cost you money or it's going to cost your family money and it's going to cost loans and everything. But then you'll earn that money back and that's the investment. Well, now it's just fucking debt. Yeah, mate. Well, my missus is fucking. She she did a fashion degree. She did three years fashion degree. Came out. You the job she had to do. You have to have a degree, and you come out, and she started on like twenty one grand a year. Mm. But you have to have a degree. I'm like, what? How is that even fair? It's like you after three years in the army, you're a lance jack, and you're earning twenty four. Twenty. I don't even know what it is now, but yeah. it's like twenty four when I was in. It's like. Well, why would you not just want to do that? And they get away with it, mate, because a lot of people want to do that job, basically. Like mm. my, my little brother, he wants to get into fashion. He did accounting and finance at uni. So he's got a degree, but he hasn't got a fashion degree. But he's taught himself how to do everything. He can make a collection and show you a collection because he hasn't got a piece of paper to say, I can make a collection. 
Mm. It's really hard for him to get in. And mate, I'm I'm lucky, mate, in, with the writing. It's like, what if it was like publishers were like, oh, we're not going to look at you unless you've got a degree. Mm. I've got a fucking degree in writing or anything like that. You know, do you know what I mean? And like, or like, you know, people are musicians or you've got to have a degree in music. Like, well, that's fucking, we, we wouldn't have most of the artists that we have, you know, in the world, mate. And like, there's a few jobs that... Uh, if I'm going to if I'm going to go have the appendix taken out, I'm going to want to know that that bloke has been <laughs> to university. Well, I've not, not done a film studies degree. Don't <laughs> oh, make come ask Bugsy. <laughs> that is Bugsy. <laughs> mate, I've done a, I'm just about to take your appendix out, but if you look <laughs> oh, on the wall, I've done a film studies degree. Is that okay? I thought you said you'd done film studies, mate. I was going to say you did. Right, peak, you know. that, that would have been peak DOS in it. You would have done <laughs> G, a level a level PE followed by film studies. That is like the fucking that is that is high level of. High high level of fucking skiving that is, mate. And drama. And <laughs> drama, yeah. Did you do much um, adventure training at school or anything? Or was that something you got into in the army? No, nah, not really. No, not at all, mate. I, I mean, I did it in the army, but then <laughs> when I was leaving the army, so I was we went and did this adventure training package, and I was going to do like a kayak instructor's course. So I was like, well, I'll get this, get this under my belt while I'm, mate, within probably two minutes of being in the water i capsized about 10 times and i just threw through the paddle down i was like now nah, i'm gonna do fucking rock jumping or something because this is fucking oh, shit man. that's that's a good fun i actually did more adventure training in school than i did in the army um i think just because of the way it worked with like fucking pre-deployment leave uh, mm. pre-deployment training and everything like that that it's just never kind of in those cycles but um yeah i was quite lucky that our school did that and then I think a lot of things at school, like if you and if you are a teacher listening to this or a coach of any kind, then my hats off to you because none of this stuff happens without people giving up, you know, their time and things. Because that is the thing about America is a lot of these coaches, even in high schools and stuff, are employed to be coaches. You mm. know, whereas in Britain we rely on on, on part time a lot of the time. And I think those people are definitely like unsung heroes. Um, mate, when it comes to when it comes to joining the army, then how did you decide on regiment and, and everything like that? Who'd you end up with? So. Um I lived in Peterborough at the time, so that, that would have been Royal Angulin, but um, my mum's fella at the time, he was an ex-fusilier. So, like, I had no time. I didn't want to be in the Royal Anglers, no offence to them, but, I, like, I wasn't from, you know, the area, and to me, they're all farmers. So I was like, no, I'm not going <laughs> to join Vikings, them. They're Vikings, mate. Come on, they're not yeah, farmers. No, Vikings. <laughs> but, uh Mate, who, who is someone's blasting them on Instagram at the minute? So they, I think Tales of the Sandpit or something. They're, is it? It's a, that the block flag, I think. The block oh, flag. Maybe. Account. <laughs> it's a good account that is, mate. Yeah. If anyone's not follow, following it, check out the uh, block flag. I've asked. I think I asked him to come on here, but he said he's not. I think. I think they might be serving or something that they don't want to. Is, don't want yeah. to reveal themselves and get a get get guard duty down in the Falklands for the next six months. And then, and then it would have been PWR, PWRR. But then I'll, I was like. I thought, no, nah, fuck it, I'll just go Fusiliers. And they tried to, my brother joined before me, he joined at Harrogate, and then I joined after him. And they tried to make us like join the Royal Anglins, but we we're like, no, nah, fuck it, we're Fusiliers. Like, <laughs> However, we turned up and they're all from Manchester, Newcastle, Birmingham, a couple from London. But I think, you know, for me, it would work well just to fit into a motley crew of people. Yeah. Yeah, and I, were you set on the infantry then? Yeah, well, mate. Like I did. Um, you did that barb test, and I went in and you know did did really good on it. And the guy's like, you know, you could join anything in the army. I was like, yeah, but I want to join the infantry. So like, you could join anything. I was like, 
yeah, but <laughs> in my head, I'm like, when you, when you, when I, when I have grandkids and I'm going to tell them, you know, I was in the army and they'd be like, wait, what did you do? I was like, did you drove a truck or I was in, no, I fucking was on the front line. I shot people. That's literally my mentality when I was 18. I was like, I didn't care about, you know, you don't, in my head, I was like, I don't join the army to be the extras. I joined the army to be on the front line. And like, you know, you're 18, you have no care for your life. You, you know, you're like, well, if I die, I die. Or, you know, don't, don't really care because your value of life is different to what it is now. Now, not a chance, mate. I mean, I probably would. I'm not going to lie. Probably. <laughs> that lasted all of all of like 1.5 seconds. Now, I never go back. Well, I probably would. But, uh, don't tell my missus. Don't tell my missus. <laughs> do you ever wish that like, I'm not, I'm going to jump it. I'm jumping ahead here, but do you ever wish that you had gone into army licks? I was actually thinking about this yesterday, mate. I was thinking, you know, because I obviously feel, I'm sure you're the same. I'm very grateful that we got to serve when we did because obviously we got to do some cool stuff. But I was thinking... I, I don't think I because right now I I can't think of anything worse than to be honest that there'd be a thirty eight year old Lance Jack in 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 fucking garrison somewhere. But if the tours were there, I do think it would be kind of cool in a way to bring like that older wiser person to the battlefield because I think you'd still in, I think you'd still enjoy it in a way. But I, I don't know, mate. What do you reckon? My take on this is different. I think the army thrives on young people. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of times where if you look back, some of the stuff you were doing, you know, you, when you came on my podcast and you spoke about, um, you know, you were kicking, fucking checking for IDs, doing your five and twenties and just, you know, kicking the fucking bin, bin over just to make sure it wasn't a bomb, you know, doing that as a 38 year old, you've got all your writing and your writing going on. You've got your cats, mate. You don't want to leave them behind. That's very true, mate. Last thing you want to be doing is kicking it. And the older you get, you start to realize, hold on a second. And you, that's when you question it. Like you're, you know, if, I mean, everyone listens to your, everyone who listens to your podcast and you, your rants and bants and stuff. And you, you question a lot about the political system and everything like that. Doing that as a, doing that when you're trying to serve is probably not a good thing. The naivety of a 21 year old running around is probably, probably better for the army. Yeah, it's the only way it works, mate, to be quite honest. And you know what, mate? You bring up an interesting point as well because I was thinking about this the other day. Because one of the tragedies, like, and, and mate, and this is the other weird thing as well, is like when you when you first start losing mates and stuff, they're the same age as you, obviously. But now we're 10, 15 years on from tours. And now when you see the lads, you're like, God, they look young. And obviously that's just going to continue for the rest of our lives until we're in our 80s and we're like... 60 years older than them Mm. and i was thinking it's weird because when you've got your whole life ahead of you you don't act like you've got anything to save you actually that's when you're the most reckless and once Mm. you've actually you know once you've actually lived some life and you've got to have great experiences then you become a lot more like now i'm now now mate i'm like fucking drag me kicking and screaming at this motherfucker Mm. and that's an interesting one isn't it because you know, I just think when, you know, they talk about these young lads, you know, on the, when, you know, it's around Remembrance Day. And like you said, mate, there's no way they would have done the job, being able to do the job. Well, I'm sure they, some, you know, but you know what I mean? Like, you need that young lad. But it's funny how young lads who have so much to live for are the most reckless at that point. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the difference between a an infantry unit and an SF unit, there's a reason why the SF don't, recruit 
a young age person there and that you know there's if you look at the mortality rate of a, an infantry unit compared to mortality rate of an sf unit the sf unit mortality rate is good just because they know how to do their skills and drills a little better <laughs> than we do but um you know so it's again it, it wouldn't thrive off i don't think it would thrive off an older man and you need that reckless you know and you, you know you're doing all that bayonet training when you're when you're in train um when you're in training bayonet one and two and you you then as an 18 year old you're like fuck it come on i'm gonna stab <laughs> something and then you, you wait in to do it you know i remember our training and i was like almost didn't pass training because of my hearing and then um anyway the the the, the oc kind of paper passed me through training which i was happy with and i remember running in screaming out of my block uh, back in my lines going yeah i'm going afghan come on uh subsequently i didn't go for another fucking three years anyway but <laughs> the guy the one of the full screws was like you don't know what you're saying you know he was a he was a fucking he had a thousand yards stare, and he was like he looked at me and he was like shaking his head he's like you have no fucking idea and i didn't but as an 18 year old you don't do you and you're just like he was he was probably doing the same thing a few years ago mate yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's odd though, isn't it, mate? Because you know I'm in this position now, and I know a lot of us are where we we're like fucking wars are waste, wars a terrible thing. God, I miss war. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, really, <laughs> really strange, mate. But when you um when you came out of uh, training and stuff, then did you, were you, was your battalion on like uh, on that kind of like cycle of pre uh, pre deployment training and stuff already? No, so I came out and they were on TRB with Theatre Reserve Battalion in Cyprus. Okay. And uh, again, I I miss, I, I was playing rugby. As I came out, I was playing rugby for the battalion, got almost, got, got my leg amputated with gangrene somehow. Well, hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Can't gloss over this, mate. How the fuck did that happen? Well, in Cyprus, they use... Um, recycled water when they water the pitches and then i slid slid in for a try um it grazed my leg massively and then unfortunately i scored another try did exactly the same thing anyway long story short i ended up in hospital with gangrene in my leg and uh is that because the shit like shit in the recycled water or something yeah yeah pretty much and they um they told me they said I wasn't allowed to deploy, which I was fuming. I put on, as the doctor walked out, I put on my boots and my kit and I was like, no, I'm fucking going. And I stood up and as I stood up, my OC and my boss walked in. He was like, where are you going? I was like, I'm going back to camp. They're like, you're not. My leg was like double the size. Anyway, that they then told me to, I had to scrape my scut and my scab with an iron brush in the bath. Jesus. The second most painful thing in my life. And at the time, it was the most painful thing in my life. I was crying my eyes out like a little baby. And um, just to, for context, the most painful thing I've ever had in my life was after I got blown up in Afghan. I was in, it was in, um, it was in Sally Oak Hospital, and because uh, of all the drugs they pump you through, and uh, my body just shut down. I was like, I got to about day seven in hospital. I was like, I haven't had a shit yet, and uh, they were like. <laughs> Right, okay, so they gave me some laxatives. I went to the toilet. I apologise if this is graphic, but basically I had to scoop rock-hard shit out of my ass. Oh, man. So I was putting my fingers out my ass, scooting. It felt like 
you know, like the mix that builders have to make, you know, like the sand mix with rocks and shit. It felt like that. I was scooping that out of my ass. I was crying my eyes out and I was like, never. And then now, ever since then, I've had like a thing with painkillers. I'm like, no, I don't want to have them. This is the reality of war and service, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> When's Mark Wahlberg going to stick that in a movie? <laughs> <laughs> scooping shit out of your ass. Dried, dusty shit. Oh, mate. Oh, I still... Oh. <laughs> that's pretty disgusting I'm not going to lie mate I think I might need to borrow your cat for a hug for a moment mate. I'll fucking get traumatised <laughs> after mate that's oh. you know it, it says something though to because obviously you know you put yourself through pain for a wire brush there but every soldier just put himself through pain to get on tour when you think about it all the beastings that you go through all the all the tabs all the training you could just say no you could just say, yeah. actually, no, I'm not doing this run and I'm not doing that next log run and I'm not doing that stretch race. And you'll get, you know, you'll get washed out the army. But you could say no. But we all, like, this dream of being at war is just fucking yeah. magnetic for us for some reason. You know, most people run in the total opposite direction of it and you're like, I want to go to war so much, let me use this iron brush to <laughs> to wash my wound out. It's mental. What What is it, like, is... Was it shame? Was it like, what was the thought of like going through your head when you're like scrubbing away with this fucking iron brush? Well, it was the fact that, um, you know, I'd just done all that training, uh, all my mates, the whole company. I mean, I'd only been in, I think I joined the battalion in end of January and we were deploying in April or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was just like, I was just like, this is ridiculous. I'm all the blokes are going to go out on tour and, it was a it was a tour of Kabul anyway, so nothing really happened. Mm. It was a pretty butchy tour, but still, as a, that's all you you go through, you go through hell, really, don't you? When you're in training for six months, I mean, it's not it's not a bit. I mean, I loved it, but it was like it's not not easy. Should come in the TA way way with me, mate. Done two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's not you know you've been you've been in the army for you know beating yourself and training. Uh, you turn up and you've got you got already. I turned up in a battalion where there was a lot of warring men because of the theatre reserve battalion. Right. You know, a lot of they'd been of my company was a company, and you know they'd been to Nauzad, and it was the I think it was 169 contacts in 100 102 days or whatever. It was like the most at the time. It was the longest sustained, um, like repetitive contact since the Korean War. It was you know it was one of the so it was, there was a lot of warring men. And I was just like, fuck, I'm now, they're going to go away again without, and I'm not going to go there. And then I'm going to be stuck on uh, rear party, which to be fair, ended up pretty, pretty good because we just went out on the piss for, I think I went out on the piss 19 <laughs> days in a row, like full on out on the piss. So what, Iron Appa? Yeah, Iron Appa, put on a stone. And every night started with, um, right, we're going to go for a, go for some food. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> One of the, one of the lads, um, one of my good mates, Egg, and fully uh, one of the lads who died in Afghan. We was us three pretty much every night for thirty nights, just constantly on the piss, and and uh, luckily, luckily we didn't miss much of Kabul. Um, but yeah, I think it was the shame of not being able to go, and and yeah, that theatre reserve battle group, mate. I've always thought was a really fucking great job. First battalion, Royal, um, Royal Welsh had it for a bit and my mates were like especially if you're in support company you back up in and out of afghan all the time 
you know, you get unusually when you bring them in, it's quite often for an op as well, isn't it? You quite often get brought in to be part of an op. Mm. Um, it's one of those things like, uh, you know, I've obviously like, uh, you don't really have much control over if you're going to be there or not. But I think some people got like, you know, some, um, it's, well, I guess what I'm kind of saying is, it's just like in, in the, there's a bit of a roulette wheel in it when it comes to battalions. Like if, if you'd have like ended up in, I think it was the Royal Scots that went to Gulf War One and you get to be in your warriors clearing trenches or whatever, or if you're Royal Scots in Afghan, you might, I, I don't know what they did. I don't know if they did as much or not, but you might have a very different experience. But I fear to reserve group is just something like you go out there during Iraq and Afghanistan, you're definitely going to go and get to do something and you'll probably get to go and do quite a few different things. Um, seemed like a pretty cool job. Yeah, I mean, again, I was unfortunate. I'm, I was the, the back end of it, of, of us, because then Royal Welsh took over us. But, um, you know, so I've said on my, on my podcast is that it's all about, it's, it's, a, it's a luck draw, really, with your time. Like, if I'd have joined six months before, nine months before I did, I'd have had two more medals mm. because of the way they did. They started off in Northern Ireland. Uh, so there was blokes who had been in like just uh, maybe a year more than me and they'd done like 30 days in Northern Ireland before they deployed, to, like moved over to Cyprus and then they'd gone to Iraq and then they'd gone to Afghan before, you know, just in the space of a year, you know, like fucking hell. And that's all from being the reserve battalion. I think actually some people deployed from Northern Ireland to Iraq and then came back and then moved to Cyprus. And then, you know, so, it's, um, and then, and then you look at past our generation come you know 2015 blokes you know there's 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 a sergeant with no no medals now cutting around it's just mad it's, it's it is it is mad mate so i was talking to joe the other day because i'm working on a book at the moment with a falklands veteran and obviously i've got the war envy you know mm. and i'm telling joe and he's like yeah we said you gotta remember like people are feeling the same way about what you've done you know and I'm not comparing what I've done to the Falklands, but I mean, I do feel lucky for what we got to do. Um, you know, it's like there's blokes in there that probably, you know, mate, imagine how you'd have felt if you were in someone like Free Para and you got out and two months later the Falklands happened. Because you're just sick of going to Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, Northern Ireland, seeing your mates blown up, seeing your mates sniped. You're like, fuck this. I never get to fucking do anything to the enemy. I'm going to leave. And then Falklands. You'd be fucking gutted, wouldn't you? You'd be again. You'd be gutted though if you left whoever in two thousand and whatever, oh, and then they, everything they, kicked they off. Time. And, and then you're like, fucking hell! Just you've gone from at least. Well, not not saying at least because you know the Northern Ireland in the in the seventies was pretty rough, but you know there was brutal. But there were you know it was still kind of the the job. Yeah. There was in the in the late nineties. There was nothing really. That was the job. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know, there wasn't any kind of us doing the job kind of, you know, kind of thing. And then everything you get out, you're like, fuck, there's something they're going to go do a job on Civvy Street. And then fucking Iraq and Afghan kicks off. And then you see your mates taking rounds down and, you know, it'd be different. And then, yeah, um, um, we're with a, I would say we're the golden generation of the soldiers, especially of this era. Oh, for sure, mate. Because if, if you join between, 2006 no 2005 to 2011 the shit you get to have done i guess that's why the if you look at the 
I think I read somewhere. I probably didn't read it or someone told me and it's probably not true, so I'm probably wrong. But uh, the SF rec- uh, recruitment during the time of Afghan and Iraq was actually pretty low because blokes were doing the shit on the ground. So like, why do I have to go do a fucking beast of a selection course when I'm actually going to, we're going to deploy next year and it's going to be the same kind of stuff. Yeah, I heard that as well, mate. Um, and you're right, mate. Like, I've got mates who did Iraq 2003, um, 2006, uh, 2007. I'm uh, sorry. So 2003, sorry, 2005, 2007 Iraq, then Afghanistan 2009 and 2011. Like, and you, so you could have done that in a five year, a five year period. Yeah. You could have done, and not just tours, punchy tours or you could have joined 2000 to 2005 maybe done one tour and it was at the beginning of things and it was probably dead quiet yeah you know same amount of time in uniform totally different you know totally different experience um and I, but i do think like at least with afghan and iraq it went on for so long and it was clearly going to keep going on i mean it was you know with the falklands it was like right this is the job we're gonna go do it if it takes a day it takes a day if it takes three months it takes three months um so like, at least if you were of a certain age, if you got out, say you got out in 2004, you could go, oh, fucking hell, I'm getting back in. You know, there was a there was the time to do, you know, the time to do that. Because that's not, not, wars don't, like, obviously, it's quite hard, mate. We, this is the mad thing as well. Like, you know, we got a lot of listeners listening to this who were 16, 17, 18 years old. And they've been alive for like, the entirety of the Afghan war has been going on, or until recently, during their lifetimes. So I think it's very hard then for you to for them to get in the mentality of things used to just come up like Gulf War to come up right we're having a few battalions go that's it and that'd be it Falcons come up a few battalions going that's it right we need a few people to go peacekeeping here and there but the chances of like what's happened with what happened with us where every battalion pretty much will go through at some point some will get more than others but everyone's going to go through at some point that to my knowledge hasn't happened since the Second World War I don't even think it was like that in Korea. I mean, and and you could see the recruitment of the you know the levels of your man in the battalion. It would always circle around mm. when the tour was coming, wouldn't it? You'd have blokes that would get back off tour and just sign off and be like, "I'm done with this," and then blokes would be like, "Well, we'll stay in till the next tour." You know, let's say if a battalion hasn't gone on tour for a bit, they're like, "Well, okay, we'll stay in," and then you get some people who just get out because they don't want to go on tour. But it's um, that one always surprises me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, what are you doing gonna, in the first place? I think you said on. I think you said on mine. You've had guys in the TA who'd never been. Yeah, you've been in the TA for twenty odd years and not gone on tour. You're like you fucking war dodgers. I love you, but you fucking war dodgers. No, like I just can't. Doesn't I don't hate those people. I don't think any. I don't think they're less of a human being than I am. I just don't understand them. Like, I don't understand how you could be in an infantry TA unit and not go. Oh, I'm going to do at least one tour, at least one, yeah. because. Like, what's the point of being there otherwise? Like, what happens? Like, what happens if? Because the whole point of the TA used to be that you get mobilized for the fight against Russia, right? So if you don't want to go and fight, like, if you don't want to go and fight Terry Taliban, you definitely don't want to go and fight Russia. You know, fucking, that's a bit of an escalation. I, I don't, I, I can't understand, mate. The other thing as well, mate. I'm a bit like you, and maybe it's because these people have got less insecurities than you and me have. Because, like, imagine someone like, oh yeah, that, like, daddy did. 20 years in the army in the TA and then people are like oh you went to Afghanistan did you no oh you went to Iraq no where'd you go nowhere like I don't I just don't see how someone could like 
So, oh, did you join before? Did you join before it all? Then no, no, I was in between two thousand and three and two thousand and fifteen. Yeah. The golden age. <laughs> <laughs> I was in the golden age, and I could have volunteered at any time. Yeah, because yeah. you know you were talking about the Falklands, and you know there's that envy of it, it sounds for someone who hasn't been to war or experienced it. It, it may sound weird that we're saying the envy of a, the Falklands War because it was rough and it was hard, you know, and it's not taken away from anything that was there. But, I mean, I'm sure people there would understand. But uh, do you not think we're envious of them because that's how we fucking trained in the army? <laughs> you know, we've always trained to, to Falklands. Like, we train, we're like Bracken, right? We're going to do... It's all, like, towards... Uh, angle towards... Shit, yeah. yeah, section attacks up fucking mountains and yeah. in rivers and shit. Whereas... I'm sure back then it probably maybe that training wasn't like it, so it was it was completely different. Uh, so it was apparently made that what. So this is I've, I've really enjoyed doing this book with Tony. He's going to come on the podcast. He was on our remembrance episode, and um, and um, I really enjoyed it because he was basically saying um, he joined the Green Jackets because he wanted to be in the infantry. He was getting a frustrated in Ireland, so he went to two two. And then, but he said when he got, when they were in the Falklands, they did like platoon or troop attacks and stuff. And it was all infantry bread and butter, like they'd been told. And to be honest, mate, I think that's why they wiped the floor. One of the reasons they wiped the floor with the Argentinians, because you basically had professionals turning up whose total bread and butter all their careers. And these are hard blokes back in the seventies as well, mate. This is the rough and tumble British army. Uh, you know, they go down there and they just fucking... You know, like he said as well, when he first looked at it, he's like, fucking hell, it's Sennybridge. (laughs) So you're literally turning up in Sennybridge, but you've got live rounds and you've got actual fucking, you've got rounds coming back at you. But you imagine if you took the British army of of our generation who had trained all the way through Sennybridge and put them in the Falklands, I reckon we would have wiped the floor with people too because that's what we do so well, the section attacks and stuff. Iraq, we're learning on the fly. Afghanistan, we're learning on the fly. But you get back to Sennybridge... And all of a sudden, everything's clockwork. The fire teams are working like clockwork. The platoons are working like clockwork. The companies are, you know, and that's because that's what the British Army does best. And um, fucking hell, mate, I feel sorry for the fucking Argentinians who basically sat there. Some of them, mate, had 10 days training, oh. conscripted, 10 days training. Right, go and sit there and wait for free para. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Like, good fucking good hell, mate. Like, you got to feel sorry. You feel sorry for them. And people are like, oh, they're cowards, they surrendered. All right, you stand up to a battalion of professionals after 10 days training. Um, and they used to, mate, they used to get, um, their officers were, um, they used to do like mock executions on, on their troops and everything like that to keep them in line and stuff. It was honking. And then the weather, mate. Now, that's the one part that I'm definitely not envious of. Yeah. <laughs> the weather, absolutely fucking gopping. But then again, mate, when was the last time war was fought anywhere with decent weather, it's always red hot or fucking Baltic. It's always one or the other. It's probably what France in the Second World War, mm. June, 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 mate. Normandy beaches quite nice if you're not getting machine gunned down by <laughs> two built boxes. Um, so yeah, it's uh, the, but yeah, it's it's a um, weird one, mate. We had Dale die, you know, Captain Dale die. Mm-hmm. We had him on the podcast, you know, and he was obviously he was in the Battle of Huey City, one of the biggest CQB battles of the last hundred years. And he was like, oh yeah, so jealous I wasn't at the islands in World War II. So it, it, I think it's like a generational thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's always, even even with our generation, people were envious of people who were on the tours. Before. Like I'm, I was in on Herrick 10, 
you know, same same as you, and it was just Ot Barmer everywhere. Yeah. And you're like fucking just envious of the people like my A company lads who were there in in Nowzad, and it was like there's no no ID threat. You were there walking wherever, contact your you know, you look at the old three power videos and stuff where they're running across the going everywhere, and you're like fucking when I'm looking, I'm like shit, no ID, you're like fucking hell. Yeah, same in Iraq, mate. Like I'm always jealous of the Telic Four stories. You know, Telic 4, just massive firefights. And then by the time you get around to Telic 9, 10, ID, 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 ID. Mm. So it fucking, um, it sucks really because you're in the same place. It's just as dangerous, but things change, you know, change up and stuff. But, you know, it's just, I don't know, I suppose it's part of being a human being, isn't it? You're always looking at like, oh, what did I miss? And then you miss the fact of, okay, yeah, you could have you could have had more than what you wanted, but you actually got to see, you got to see some A-10s. You got to see... You know, you you got you got to actually go out and engage with an enemy, which most soldiers never actually get to do. Yeah. Um, let's talk a bit about your tours, here, mate. Your 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 Herrick Ten tour. How did you feel like when you finally got? Because obviously you went out to Kabul. I don't know if you there's anything you want to say about Kabul before we talk about Herrick. No, Tentor. I didn't. I didn't go. I didn't oh, go. So you didn't get out. That, you didn't no, make it at the end thing. of it either. Okay. No, no, no. It was only a it was only a bakchi like two 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 month tour or something like that. Right. Um. So I missed out on that. So again, and that was pretty much the last kind of TRB um, tour for the for the battalion, and then it wasn't until two thousand nine when we redeployed to Afghan in, on Herrick Ten. So how are you feeling then, heading out to Afghan? Well, we were so the company, the battalion was split up, and we were all going to deploy together, and then there was a last minute change where one company was going to go and um, attach to two rifles um, down because I think. The, the whole company were in Musakala, DC, and they had AO North or something. I can't remember. Yeah, it was. Um, hang on, I should, I should, I should know this. I was in yeah. it. <laughs> yeah, because um, yeah, we were part of that. We were part of that battle group. Um, battle group Northwest, I think it was. Maybe. That's it. Yeah. yeah, and then my company attached two rifles down in Sangin, and I remember getting taken off, and. Um, our, our company got taken off after the battalion got on and we were like, right, you're deploying to Sangin. And then they were like, it's completely different. And then we had a color, two color, sar- no, a color sergeant and then a sergeant sits down. I can't remember where he was from. And <laughs> he was like, you're going to get fucked. <laughs> they were basically the words that they said. And we were like, I mean, no one walked out going, oh shit. Everyone was like fired up. And we we're like, fuck it, let's do it. And obviously a company, uh, there was still a few lads who, who were in from the, sang in before because um well quite a lot of the battalion was still in from sang in in when they were deployed there with in the 2006 i think 2006 or 2007 so there was a few lads around so we, we all have, remember the stories and we all you know know the stories from the lads that were there so we were all kind of fired up and you know i remember going out on the piss in manchester with with my mate Sai and my brother we were out on the piss and we went out with one of my mates Sai, not Sai's mates. And he had lost a leg in Afghan. I think it was his lower left leg. And we were out in the piss. And after, after being there, seeing his house and all that, we were driving home. And me and my brother looked at each other and we went, I'll take a lower left leg. For house, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, for house. My mate Chris is listening to this now. First mate of mine had lost a limb. I remember thinking like, like fucking, he's got a house. Fuck's sake. Like, you know, fuck's sake. You don't think about everything else, do you? But no. it's funny though, mate, again though, isn't it? Do you reckon that's just the human mind? trying to rationalize something that scares it 
Or do you reckon we just stick? <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, just, just stick, mate. Just, <laughs> we're fucking, we're infantiers, mate. That's, that's, that's all it is. It's like, well, you know, we just, we don't care about it. We just either want, we want it all, or fucking, we just risk it all. And, you know, there was the, I think it was the CO who did a speech to the battalion when we got back. Cause this is when Herrick 10 and, you know, Herrick 9 was pretty hairy. And then the CO was like, right. He actually said the words, not all of you are coming back. And then I was when it was like, okay, fine. Just fucking, you just got to hope it's you. That was it for the infantry battalions then though. And I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not saying that other battalions didn't, I'm, cause I, I don't know for them. I'm just, I only know the infantry, but you didn't go to Helmand and not lose anyone at that point. You know, you didn't knew it, but did you ever think it would be, did you ever think it'd be you or is it always, oh, I'll be someone else? I didn't really care if I'm honest. Like I didn't like, uh, yeah, it was never, it was never something that it was never something that went in my, that went in my head. I didn't, didn't think, oh, I don't want to die. It was like, if I die, it sounds corny, but it was like, if I die, I want it to be doing something, mm-hmm. you know, if it, if it, if it means I'm, you know, at least I'm attacking someone or like, you know, I'm trying to save my mate, you know, and we've lost my best mate Bushy was week week one day one. He he died in Afghan, but he died trying to save our platoon sergeant. You know, there's no higher honor than yeah. than dying trying to trying to save someone else's life. You know, and I mean, I know that sounds bad because he's he died and and all that, but you know, he is forever a hero. And I'd rather him be alive, of course, but unfortunately, some of us have to give that sacrifice. Yeah, it's a weird one that mate, because obviously I think that is part of the attraction to soldiering, and part of the reason I think that we don't worry so much about death when you're doing it is because who who is remembered and revered more than a soldier that dies in battle? Like no one's going to remember you and me in hundred years, but if we'd died in battle, people would remember us. They'd still be remember reading about us and. And, you know, names on memorials and, and that kind of thing, which not, again, rather be alive. 100% would rather be alive. But that, I think, is part of it, is knowing that you, it's like this old kind of like immortality that, you know, we give to warriors. I mean, we talk about people like, you know, we all talk, we talk about people like Alexander the Great and his allies and stuff like that. None of us talk about his baker or, you know, that kind of thing. And I think that is like, status is something you look for as a young man like it's in fact status and respect are the things that are probably foremost on your mind aren't they at that age mm-hmm. and what is a higher status than you know okay yeah if i get hurt i'll get hurt but i'll be a wounded warrior it's not going to be like i fell down the stairs mm-hmm. and lost my leg it's going to be like yeah i lost my leg and people are going to know that i'm a fucking warrior and i think that is that knowledge takes a lot of the the fear out of, you know, takes a lot of the fear out of things. Just thinking off the top of my head there, mate, but does that, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does, mate. And the thing is, it could be could be seen as like an ego, an ego stroke, but oh, it's definitely. not. Well, I think it is wow. as well, though, mate. Yeah. <laughs> I think it is ego, mate, to be honest. Yeah. But then it but then it changes when you're out there as well, though, because your, your mentality changes. When you're there, you're like, oh, I don't mind, you know, if I'm dying doing something I love. And then, and then things change because I remember doing, you know, barmering, and you know you're getting readings of seven. I can't remember what it was. You wouldn't, you wouldn't, you wouldn't confirm if it was under a seven. And then so I would 
farmer and then you know then i would find a like a reading of six and then i would just kind of like step back and just whack my left leg on it <laughs> just, just just to make sure that it was because i was like i'd rather lose i'd rather either lose my leg or die myself than one of my mates stepping yeah. on it behind me but then my boss fucking almost killed me afterwards because he was like what the fuck are you doing hp and i was like what i was like He's like, what about if it's a daisy chain IED and you're just taking out the old section? Multiple. I'm at a fair point. Probably yeah. won't do that. Yeah. But no, mate, like, so I do think part of it is ego, but yeah, the other part is what you're saying. The other part is the brotherly love, the sacrifice, and all that kind of things. Like, um, you know, like, yeah, I totally agree, mate. Like, I, I've always thought it's, it's, it's easier to die than to live with the knowledge that someone else died because of you. So it's actually, it's not like, you know... And this goes to, to go into war in the first place. People ask me like, oh, well, you know, oh God, it must have been really brave of you to go at war. It's like, well, actually, it would have been a lot harder for me to stay at home because every day I would have been going, I wish I was there, I wish I was there. Going was the, like, going's the actually easy route. You know, same when it comes to, sometimes it's just easier to grab your valon off a point, man, and go, I'll fucking do it myself. Hmm. You know, if, you, if they're shit or whatever, because you're thinking, you know, oh, fucking hell, if they get us blown up now, or if he gets blown up, like, I'm just going to have to think about his mum, you know? And it's just like, you know, I'll just fine, I'll do it myself. Go and kick over mm. that thing or whatever. <laughs> but, you know, it's 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 a tough one, mate, because it's not like in the moment you're thinking like, oh, well, I've got to do it because I want to make him go home. You're just like, fucking give me that. I'll do it myself. But that's where that chain of thought has come from, you know, is wanting to make sure people get back. And did you ever like, like, were you, were you an NCO at the time, actually? Or were you a, pri- were you a private? Uh, I got from, well, I did my NCO Carter before, tour and then i got promoted while i was on tour so it was like a yeah i was both i got a bit of both really so what was it like let's talk about being a private out there first what were the leaders and stuff like around you so yeah i mean we had a we had a good bunch of good but we had a really good bunch of leaders you know val who was our platoon sergeant um he died he died as out there but he was just the epitome of a leader and anyone, anyone who's known him or anyone who's ever served with him. I mean, it's easier to say that because you probably get the, there's a lot of people when they, you know, if people die, they say, this guy was the best. This guy was, you know, the top, but Val literally was, he was as a platoon sergeant is like everything you ever, the soldier you want to be, but also the, the leader you need. Yeah. You know, we had, we had a good officer as well. Um, and our section commanders were, you know, we had a, me being, you know, I'd done my NCO card as well, so there was that kind of not you know, not the seniority kind of, you know, I was I was an NCO in waiting. Yeah. But it was um yeah, I think I think A company itself, there wasn't really any bad eggs. I mean there was a couple, but you know, as as leaders wise, we we had a good good bunch of leaders. What do you think of your CO and RSM? I don't know, mate, to be honest, what we we didn't really interact with them because they were battle group North, you know, on tour as such, but I don't know. Does it does, do, do private soldiers really care about the CO or the RSM? Only when they're fucking around in their lives. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But you don't, you never really as a, as a fusilier for me, but as a private soldier, you never, you never really interact with the RSM. You just make sure you fucking brace up and you, you're not fucking, if someone's your, well, I think RSM at the time was big on our cap badge being over our left eye, not not to the side. Fucking Nightmare. Bellend. 
Did that, did that save a lot of lives? Yeah, it did, mate. It did. And and what, what twisters? I said, fucking twisters. Fucking twisters. I, I tell you now, I've never worn a pair of twisters in my life. I don't know how I did it because it was yeah, a big hot thing. Are you an anti-twister conspiracy theorist? Yeah, yeah mate, I am. <laughs> What's 100% conspiracy theory that you believe in? So- Mine's fucking twisters. <laughs> I'm never a fan of twisters myself, mate. Like, <laughs> I've ne- never, seen the, never seen the point. Absolutely never seen the point in them. Ridiculous. Like put like the old school putties, you know the what the wrap around the boot onto the lower leg. Mm. Like they serve the purpose, right? Like, what purpose is twister serving? None. You got the, especially you got the fucking lace there as well. If you do it up right and yeah, nah, I, I used to like them. I, I let them hang, let them hang me, mate. Like like a dirt. hero sleeves as well. Hero, obviously, mate. All right, let's talk about battlefield fashion. What was your what's your approach to battlefield fashion, and why does it save lives? It doesn't. Like, this is... <laughs> with our tour, it was that tour. Do you remember there was that fucking American officer that came out? I think I can't remember who it was, and he was, like, just basically slagged off the British Army for being messy. For being trans, all of a sudden, yeah. yeah, and then all of a sudden, we have to... You know, the, I think it was the tour before us, you know, paras are paras, they always fucking wear what they want, but you're seeing them cutting around in T-shirts and shit, and then we're made to wear fucking long sleeves, and you're like, fuck off, just let us wear... We're in the sun. Let's get a t- let's get a tan. Fifty degrees. Yeah, but no, we. I, I guess we we we. I think we were like one of the first tours to get those Gucci, those Gucci whatever they were. Oh, the U-backs. Yeah, they they look pretty cool. So it was it was nice wearing them, and because we would been, you know, we had deserts in Cyprus from two thousand and seven. So it was. Don't you think it was always you always thought someone was cool if they were wearing the faded deserts? Mate, of course. Of course. So it's like Because you know he's got the stare. He's got the thousand yard stare if he's got a pair of worn deserts, mate. But bear, bear in mind I've never been on tour. I just had him from Cyprus, but I still wore him like I did. Well, wearing him around Bastion, mate, looking <laughs> yeah. at looking at disdain in disdain at the chefs. Mate, yeah, yeah. What did you go for in the glove department? I just went for the issued tissue, mate. I didn't have the O please. The leather ones. The, no, you know the comp. They were the desert and ninety five. Well, not in ninety five, but the desert fucking whatever. The, got they, they were like leather. leather yeah, yeah, yeah. I like them, mate. Cut off the fingers. Cut off the fingers yeah. and wore them. I need to need to find my mate and start wearing them on Remembrance Day, so everyone knows I'm a veteran. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever think? Like, uh, have you ever seen anyone turn up for Remembrance Day in deserts? No. No, no, neither have I, mate. And I, I want it to happen. I want to see. I want to see someone turn up in Remembrance Day de- in deserts. Mate, I posted something on Instagram ages ago. I can't. I need to find. I think I might have tagged you in it. Maybe I don't know. This was days ago. On ASOS, it was someone was wearing a desert CBA fucking carrier. Oh, mate, I think I, t- I think you might have sent that to me, mate. So I, I, I did see it. <laughs> mate, anyway. Come on, imagine that. Imagine cutting around in a desert fucking body armor. Any young people listening who want a nice one, I've got one in the house. Oh, actually, no, RMP, I haven't got one in the house. Stop listening. <laughs> Definitely haven't got one. Um, What about your helmet, mate? What was what was going well, on with your helmet? Well, we were Mark 6 Alpha. But tell me, so tell me you had a nice bit of NBC boot on there. Of course we did, mate. Of course we did. Yeah, of course we did. But we had mesh, decent, um, fucking, what are those? Uh, I mean, my helmet looked good, apart from just, I always, I've got this great picture of me in Root Sparta, and it looked like, it was like we were, we were wading through water, and it was like, we looked like we were in Vietnam, it looked ugly as shit. 
picture of me, my fucking helmet's tilted to the side. Oh, I was like, you fucking bellend. <laughs> a soul course helmet. <laughs> Guys, lend me your ears for not long, and then we will go back to the podcast. And you know what? Today's uh, sponsor, or one of them, he's very dear to me. His name is Geraint Jones, and he does books. If you is interested in said books, then check out um, my social media. Drop me a message on there. Uh, I'll do your super special deal on signed copies. I've written all kinds of stuff. If you want some stuff for Christmas, I'm your man. Come and see me. We'll make a deal. Let's leave it at that. And also, actually, we won't leave it at that. I do also sell used underwear. If you know anyone in two-powder mortars who might want a pair of stinky knickers, get in touch with me. Prices vary depending on how long I've worn them. Uh, also, thank you today to Combat Fuel sponsoring me juicy gains. Guys, the clear way that they have at the moment is just absolutely banging. Me and Joe talked about this. It's basically, it's like drinking a juice instead of drinking like what feels like a milky shake. I mean, don't get me wrong. I love the milky shakes, but this stuff, this clear way is a game changer because I found that I'm just drinking it like throughout the day. Like if I just fancy a nice drink, I'm just going to get a protein shake. Uh, And as a result, my juicy gains are even greater than usual because I'm just probably taking in more protein, I assume. Um, Cola flavor, tried it, loved it. Candy bits flavor, tried it, loved it. So check it out. Clear away from Combat Fuel. Use the code VSOM and get yourself juicy discounts on top of your juicy gains. And final thanks, Zulu Alpha Straps, making watch straps for frontline operators around the world. Why Why is it important? to have a properly made watch strap. Well, pretty obvious, isn't it? If you are working in a rugged, kinetic environment, then you've got to protect what's on your wrist. If you don't have... Let's be honest, guys, right? If you ain't keeping time on your operations, everything work, Everything comes down to time. Everything is based around your H hours. Everything is around being there five minutes before when you're on camp. You won't be there late if you've got a Zulu Alpha strap because you're never going to want to take it off because people are going to say, oh my God, Bert, is that a Zulu Alpha strap? And you say, yes, it is. I see you're a watch connoisseur. So check them out. They've got lovely social media at Zulu Alpha Straps, ZuluAlphaStraps.com. They've been supporting this podcast for a long time. I love them a long time, so please check them out, guys. All right, thanks for listening to that. Some of you I know will have skipped ahead and you're just getting to me now. Well, you lot, you lot, you lot ain't getting nothing for Christmas, but the rest of you... Good on you. Thanks for listening. Let's get back to the podcast. <laughs> but yeah, but I mean, you, you, when you were there, you had the Gucci snipers helmet, didn't you, or whatever you had? I had, mate. So I had a. I wore at the beginning of the tour when we were with you lot. I wore the same helmet that I'd worn in Iraq, because obviously, when I was in the, let's just say that I came home with a lot of helmets and you shouldn't leave your, you shouldn't leave your helmets and body armor unattended at the phone cabins. That's all I'm going to say on that one. <laughs> um, so I, I kept hold of my Iraq one. So I took that back out. I took that back out with me for the first one, but I put a parachin strap on there cause I like them. Um, and then obviously got the, I had the old scrim on there, but I started with the, the wider scrim for that beginning of the tour. And then, so I had some different photos for the second half of the tour. We got the Mark sevens, which I, I like cause they look like the old German, like Panzer Grenadier things. Mm. And I put on a, for that, we weren't allowed to put NBC boot anymore cause someone had had it burn into their eyes. So, uh, fair one. I don't want NBC boot in my eyes. I like NBC boot on helmet, not so much on my eyelids. Mm. So, um, we went for... I put the, the thicker scrim on this time, the, the small ones, double wrap that up. 
and then um, obviously sniper tape and a, you know I think I put the cat's eyes on and I used to be I'd be a fan of goggles on helmets as well mate I got into the habit when we were in um, uh, when we were in Iraq of wearing eye pro on the move like I, I didn't used to wear it when I was patrolling because at the time you didn't have to wear it but I was always a fan of kind of having some if we were going through a vulnerable point stick them stick them on mm. so i like the eye pro for that like if someone's doing if i if i don't really trust the, the guy who's doing the who's, who's who's digging around to confirm an id i might just pull the goggles on like that's gonna save me but um, hey, i've got i've got these i've got these two pictures of me i remember there's one picture of me on our first patrol out and i was a gpmg gunner oh beauty of course beauty. but i had a i had a sidearm to my leg I had a dump pouch as well for some reason. No, I didn't. No, no. That was when I had a dump pouch when I was just a rifleman, but I didn't carry it. But I mean, I had all the gear. And then there's a picture of me like three months later, and I literally went out with the bare minimum. Mm-hmm. I was like, just shift rounds on the on the, on the the gun and the fucking day sack, and that was it. Were you a gunner for the whole tour, yeah? Uh, no, I was, I, was, I was quite lucky. I was gunner or shotgunner. So I was like, oh. Because mm, when, when we took turns, when I got promoted, basically there was you know if you we could took turns of being mobile to ic and me and a couple of lance shacks and then we would rotate between two ic and machine gunner so what would you do with it with the shotgun then you'd have it as as what like a secondary weapon or no nah, main weapon main weapon and a pistol yeah yeah but it was there, there wasn't you know it wasn't much going on then towards you know getting into contacts and such it was more the id threat so you would you'd take that out and that's when you always want it to kick off. And I remember when I got, when I got injured, fucking, I got blown like off my feet, like Jean-Claude Van Damme and the shotgun went fucking flying, mate. Absolutely. Uh, Why? Well, I, I, someone else did. You could, ju- you could have just left it there, mate. Apparently that's yeah. the dumb thing in Afghanistan. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, you've seen all those fucking SAAs cutting around now. Mad, isn't it? Yeah. Mate, when we were in Iraq, they they broke into an ISO container there and took a bunch of SAATs. So I I don't know if the one I, I don't know because obviously some of them will have been lost in explosions, but there's quite a lot of them cutting around. Um, did you see that picture the other day of the Taliban doing a parade in like just a par- parade of these vehicles with like all, all the it's basically they're fully equipped by America doing this parade, mate. <laughs> like it's kind of it's it's kind of mental. I'm like, and our lads got fined a month's pay for like. Losing a round in Iraq. <laughs> oh, mate. It's, it's fucking mad. Um, let's talk a bit more about your, like, you mentioned the ID threats and, and that kind of stuff. When you got out there, had, like, because obviously the, the lads that you got go out in 2007, sorry, 2006, it was all just small arms and stuff. Mm. Had Sangin, by the time you got out there, become just like an ID war, pretty much? Pretty much, yeah. I think the, the guys before us, um, it was a mixture um, you know, our first story was there was a they were on a patrol, and then this kid walked up to them with a wheelbarrow, oh, and they let him too close, and it was a fucking uh, suicide wheelbarrow. Fucking, I think killed two of the lads, and it was like you know, you're like fuck, that's it, you know, this is this is the real deal. Um, but basically, it became an IED war. You know, there was small arms contacts, but it wasn't it wasn't like the glory days. The, the, that you would hear of in the 2006, 2007s, it was a matter of fact of just going out and trying to find IEDs, which is not fun. No, 
And what was the purpose of finding them? Like, what was what kind of like what what was kind of like the missions and stuff? What was the the big picture that you were told, if anything? Ground dominance, isn't it? Yeah. Can you remember ever being told like what the what like the big pic what the picture was for the battle group? What the picture was for the brigade? What the picture was for the ISAF mission at large? No, not really, mate. No, I never. I mean, if I did get told, I didn't take, pay, pay any attention to it, or I didn't care, or it's way beyond, way in the back of my memory. I don't really, don't really remember. It was just, you know, we were just out there to find the scrap. Really, <laughs> that, that's all we were there to do. Is that's all we wanted to do? You know, as a, as a as a infantry, sort of, you know, fusilier or private soldier, all you want to do is scrap. So, how often were you finding the IDs out there? A lot, a lot, yeah. I mean, there was, a, yeah, probably, I don't know, yeah, it's, I mean, it's a long time ago, but I would say very regularly. Very, when we had, we had um, our, one of our guys from my platoon, Noga, he was like the king ID finder. He would literally find them anywhere. And he would be like proud of going out and just finding, fucking, but I mean, no, no, no lead valid man finish the tour oh. which is which is pretty fucking yeah pretty bit bit of pill to swallow be that injured or or killed so is that like how did you do that things what we did with our valor men is we wrote we rotated people quite a lot everyone we had a few like we had we had like the same like is your noggle lab is he a fijian no no all right because we, we had a fijian like called Fuato. it was just like fucking he was like the uh the steve irwin of ieds just find, just finding him. He's just finding him. I, I, I might be talking shit here, but I swear he found something like hundred IDs or something like yeah. that. Mental. Um, but yeah, he took a fucking top lad. And um, yeah, so like, there's what we did generally. Even though there was a few lads like that who did a lot, we it, it got passed around the junior NCOs, like the Lance Jackson Privates, a lot. So like, no one was doing it just all the time. But you did, it did the way you do it. You had just people that was that was their job full time. Yeah, well, I think we rotated it, but there was just guys that were just naturally better at it, yeah, and who would crack on. And you know, I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say I was scared to do it. Like I didn't really want to do it. Like I was, I did it. I did a, I did it on a, um, on a company patrol. You know, we went out on a company patrol, and I'm getting fucking shouted at by my OC for being too slow. I was fucking fuming. Looking back at it in hindsight, I was on, I was only on the six one one and. We had arcs on where I was valing in, so I was probably going a bit too slow, and it was fr- probably a bit negative for the you know being speed and move- maneuver and all that good stuff. But you know I was shitting myself. I'm like fuck, I've got a whole company of men behind me. But you know I take my hats off to anyone who picked up a valin because it was fucking absolute. <sighs> it was horrible, horrible. And and we did we we rotated it, but there was just some guys who were naturally just fucking. Well, there's some really guys as well, mate. Let's be honest. In the infantry, you have some guys who should not just not be allowed to do anything because <laughs> they're just a danger to everyone. Yeah. I mean, Nog- Nogger was that was that guy. You were like fucking hell. He's a lunatic, but he was just a ninja at finding IEDs. Yeah. And unfortunately, he found one. He think he was clearing it, and he got fucking blown up, and he lost light sight in his eye. But. Oh. Yeah, but I think he found an awful lot, you know, one probably triple digits, I would say. Do you think people understand just how much the infantry have to do with IEDs? 
No, because you don't get taught it when you're in, when you were going out. I mean, we didn't get taught anything before we went out on tour about IEDs. The first time we had we did any practicing was out in Bastion on a, on a barmer lane mm. doing fucking confirming IEDs. You're like, this should be you should be doing this in training. Yeah. Guys should be doing this in training, so it's second nature. Especially, I, you know, I don't know if, what the training was like in beyond beyond 2010, but but there's no reason why not. Especially if you're going to be in Afghan for another five years. Fucking everyone should have a barmer barmer attached to their arm and learning and learning what the sounds are, learning how to confirm. Because think how many lives that would have saved if you were all if you had it attached to you from the day you started. And then then maybe like maybe you start the army as a barmer man, weapon slung. And then as you two years in, then you start firing a weapon because that's what we were fucking. That's all they were doing after 2013. Yeah, I mean, think about it, mate. When when you are talking about because you've done. All your basic training has been conventional fighting, right? You're not forgetting that. Like, you and me now, I reckon if one of us section commander was on 2IC now, we could probably put together a fairly decent section attack. Well, I mean, I'd be out of breath. It wouldn't be fast. It wouldn't be fast. <laughs> no, but it would be, <laughs> yeah, the, the, the correct moves would be there. It would just Move be... Move is fast. Move is fast. Move is fast. Yeah, but we could do that. But, you know, like, so the idea that, like, wow, we got to do loads of our pre-deployment about conventional stuff because we get out there, we might get in a fight. All right, Sam, we all know how to do that already. Mm-hmm. We all know yeah. how to do that. What's worrying us is, like, what about these things that are under the ground? We're going to do much training on them. And I, and I don't think, I don't blame my unit for not doing much on it because this just seems to be an army-wide thing that everyone's like, yeah, and then we got to Bastion and learn how to use a Valon. And you're like, oh, right, the main piece of life-saving equipment, you know, for the rest of the time. I mean, muscle memory would always be there. You pick up a rifle now, you'll know how to. You'll know you'll aim to shoot at a center center of mass. Like your grouping probably wouldn't be that good to start with, but eventually, if you add a few rounds, you'd probably be all right. I went. I did some shooting in Texas when I was there, beginning of twenty twenty. My mate, my mates are Texans. We've got ARs, Glocks, and everything. I took out a Glock right the first round, put a few cans out. First round, bung, ding, nailed it. I was like, fucking hell, still shit up. Didn't hit anything else for the rest of the day. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, but the drills are still there. You know, so yeah. what you're saying about, but could you say now, even after that tour, I couldn't tell you that I can remember the Bama drills off the top of my head because that, even during the tour, never became full muscle memory. You know, I think it takes a lot of reps for you to get to that point. I mean, and if you'd have done it, if you'd have said like, I, I don't know, a week, a month where blokes are doing Barmer coming up to tour, you know, let's say you've got a tour coming up and you know, there's an IED threat a week, a month, everyone's doing Barmer. You're going out on the, your ranges aren't ranges. They're Barmer ranges. Yes. It's boring. Yes. It's shit. But, but again, we're fucking, well, what we were stupid, mate. We don't know how to do it. Yeah. And at the time as well, mate, if someone had said, right, we're going to do it. We're going to stay behind today. We're not going to, we're going to stay behind this weekend to do Barmer. I'd gone, fuck no. Who do you think you are holding us back? I want to go home for the weekend. You wouldn't have to do weapon cleaning. They would, Jimmy. No, you wouldn't have to. Um, what, can you remember the first time getting rounds down? I think everyone does, doesn't it? Um, yeah, we were, well, there was two. There was the first time we got contacted, but then the first, before that, it was the first time, I actually got the rounds down myself. It was there was a contact. If anyone who knows it, we were in we were in Nole in Sangin, and then there was PB Waterloo, which is just probably about probably about eight hundred meters away. And there was a massive contact up there, so we were just all ran to the roofs of our of our mansions and GPMGs coming down. And uh, just yeah, we were just getting the fucking rounds down, and it was just fucking cool. And then it was just 
because we just put so much firepower firepower down. We had the GMGs going in fire support, and we had I had we had two Jimpies on our roof. I think they had a fifty cal as well somewhere going off, and they were like, "Fucking stop, stop!" It's only fucking like two people fucking <laughs> taking pop shots, and we've just put like an intrusive amount of rounds down. And then the first time we actually were out on the ground, it was. I mean, yeah, it was those things you'll never forget and you know before you go out on tour you hear people's stories about their first contacts and man i still remember it i don't know if you do with yours i still remember it everything to the to the like to the to the kind of minute yeah and i remember pretty well mate let's out let's see let's see about it then so we we were all we were all just in the green zone and um we all sat down in an l shape just chilling out we were doing a resupply on one of the bridges and uh we were all kind of spaced out and then rounds just started fluttering in between people. And in, like I was along the corrugation ditch, the other lads were across the compound wall and then rounds were just going everywhere. And then within a 10, <laughs> I've said this before, but you know, you do all your skills and drills and you get, you know, everyone says when, when shit kicks off, your skills and drills will kick in. Yes, they do. Probably not straight away though. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> Cause that first mate, everyone was like, you're thinking shit. You have to think, right, RTR, so you're going to return around, take cover, turn appropriate fire. No, mate, head first into the corrugation ditch, fucking trying to fucking, <laughs> trying to d- dig deeper with your eyelids. It's just, you're just trying to fucking get, there was, there was a whole multiple within a eight, eight to 10 meter fucking line in the corrugation ditch, just gone head first. And then it was like, then we all realized what's going on. And then, uh, then that's when your skills and drills kick off. And, you know, maybe, maybe it would have been different if we were on a patrol, but I think the fact that we were all sat down mm. and just waiting for a resupply and had that. And then later on, we, we found out there was a casualty um, and that's when we lost our first lad, Susu. And had that, had Susu not, a, not of you know, we not lost Susu, it probably would have been one of the, you know, one of the best experiences of my life. Because you're like, it's just your, your life is in your hands and you just, Mate, at one point I was running across someone right HP go over there you need to go over there so I ran across it was rounds running at my feet and I was like zigzagging and I'm like this is fucking cool and I got to the other side they're like alright what do you need and they were like here take this body armor and helmet and I was like are you fucking shitting me I've come over to grab someone's body armor and helmet and then I'll run back and I'm like fucking hell but it's well like but, yeah, casualties yeah it was, I think it was Susu's I carried him over there but at the time I didn't know um, what it was, I was just given a set of body armor and a helmet, and I was like fucking running across. But yeah, what was that, that like was... for you then, experiencing like your first casualty? Yeah, I mean, it was it's hard, right? Because it's, it's, it's your mate Susu, Fijian, and I'm a rugby player, so you know I've got close with all the Fijian boys. But um, it's, yeah, it's, it's 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 strange seeing your mate on a on a stretcher. And they look when someone gets shot, he got shot just underneath his body plate and by a sniper. I think it was a, what's that Russian sniper? Fucking whatever. It's got V and it's got a K in it. I can't remember the name of it, but um, he got shot anyway from a sniper and he, the size of him, I mean, he wasn't a skinny boy anyway and no, no Fijians really are, but his, his belly would bloated like, three times the size and blood everywhere and the the medic the the mo was a was a female mo and nothing not, not that ma- that matters but 
she just lost her shit. She just went into panic mode and she was screaming. She just wasn't taking control of the situation. And it was two of our lance jacks were just from, from my, my company had just kind of told her to shut up and we're dealing with the situation. You had three lance jacks dealing with it and do, um, keeping him as best alive as they could. While the MO was gone into shock, and she was actually a proper medical officer, not not a not, not a medic. Medical. She was after that, mate. She got binned and sent back to Bastion, and we got a new one because she just went into panic mode, and you can't blame really, because I know you you know what you're getting into, but people deal with people deal with trauma differently. You never know till you know, do you? No, no, and and I, one of, one of the things I've said before is. You, you never know if you're going to be a fight or flight person. And most people in their life will never, will never know if they're fight or flight and you'll fight or flight in a different fight, flight or freeze in a different situation. But me, you, you know, people who've seen combat, people who've, you know, done reacted the way they have. Like I know in a fight, flight or freeze situation, I'm a fighter, you know, and, and, and I feel very privileged to be, to be that. Because there's people that will go throughout their whole life and never know if they will fight, fight, or freeze. Is that something you think about now and again, mate? Because it's like, it's a weird thing, isn't it? Because like your mates, the people you've been around, that's the norm. But like you said, it's not, is it? So do you, no. like, how, how often do you think about like, how often you kind of think about stuff like that? Me? Uh, I do. Yeah, quite a bit. Like, you know, I feel, like I said to you, I feel privileged. and But, when, you know, you look at when I got, when I got blown up, it was, there was a, they, they, they laid an ID. We found the ID. We pushed back into a cordon. They knew our skills and drills. So we pushed back. Then I was valenting and you know, I've gotten, I'm getting like readings, like fucking all over the place. I'm like, fuck, we're in a minefield. So we pushed back even further. And then they just started lobbing grenades over the wall. And then all hells broke loose. And then, but you look back and there's blokes that one of my mates, Buff, he got um, shrapnel in his arm and his ass and his leg. And he's fucking carrying someone over his shoulder, fucking hour of contact. And then you got another guy who, again, no disrespect to the person, but he had a little bit of shrapnel on his thumb and then he went into shock, mm. you know? And it's like people just react differently. And, you know, again, my, mine was, my, mine sounds cooler than it was because the medic came over and, she, I, I first initially thought my arm was broken because my arm was like all spasm. It was in a weird position, but then just blood started coming through my shirt. And then she cut it up and there was a big fuck off hole in it. And then she started patching it up. And then she was like, right, Dave, should I get the rounds down? I was like, yeah, fucking get the rounds down, Sally, go on. <laughs> and then she was like, she put around fucking one round stoppage. Like, right, re one round stoppage. I was like, you didn't fucking order your weapon, did you, Sally? She was like, no. I was like, well, <laughs> fucking, you fucking medic, or your weapon. Anyway, she then put her weapon down, and with one arm, I like somehow put the weapon in my leg. I like took the magazine out, cocked it a few times with my left arm. I was like, fuck this, I'm getting the rounds down. And I just <laughs> picked, <laughs> picked up the weapon and just started fucking getting the rounds down with one arm. And it, and it, and for some reason, yeah, I didn't get any stoppages because. Because because Thor was watching me and Thor was like, I approve of this warrior spirit. <laughs> yeah. Did you say? Did you do Jesse Ventura and you're like, ain't got time to bleed? <laughs> <laughs> no, but she did put so with it. She put a um. Obviously, the first thing the medics do is put a tourniquet on, stop the bleeding. But obviously, everything we ever get taught is tourniquet goes on, 
probably going to lose that limb. So I was like, so I was like, Sally, what are you doing? She's like, I need to put a tourniquet. I was like, I don't want to lose my arm. And I was like, that fuck, <laughs> didn't care about dying. I just didn't want to lose my arm. But uh, she just, anyway, as soon as she walked off, she put an FFD on it. I think she put like two FFDs on it. And then um, she walked off and I've just gone, looked around and I've just kind of, <laughs> <laughs> I've loosened, I've loosened the tourniquet. <laughs> and then, and then, and then I was like, oh, hopefully that's all right. And then, yeah. Mate, you could have mugged her right off if you did on that. Everyone had been like, he's dead because of you. You didn't do this when it came properly. I was like, no, I'm not fucking losing that. It was, if it was my left arm, I wouldn't care, but it was my right arm. Oh, can't learn to wank on all new arm, mate. <laughs> yeah. Mate, that's fucking mental. Um, were you like, what was, how, how big of a hole are we talking about? And what did, how did you feel like looking at it? The, the hole was, big at the time at a minute the thing that's pissed me off now is when i looked at it the hole was big it was like a good you know probably 15 centimeters if that probably more and but then and it was there was an entry wound at the back and an exit wound was at the front and uh it was a big hole and i was like whoa that's fucking big mm. and i was like jesus so i didn't didn't even look at it because i was like that's fucking yeah. mad anyway i got back all, all Fast forward ten days in Selly Oak and looking at the, um, I had three. They were going to skin graft my my arm, not my leg, to put it on. I was like, yeah, that's fine because I want a big scar. But they didn't in the end. They just three operations to stretch my skin. And anyway, after after everything, they showed me the scar, and I was like, is that it? <laughs> Can you make it bigger? <laughs> They're like, what do you mean? I was like, Can you not like? make it a little bit longer like no one's ever asked us to make longer scars i was like i don't know but i'm sat across with a guy like the guy opposite me had like no legs and one arm and i'm sat there with a little shitty scar on my arm like, i want to <laughs> i want something at least i, I just wanted to say you know because obviously talking about the people with amputee and everything like that you just take us back for a second to that the end of that incident then like where, what happened from then you mucking around with your tourniquet. So what was the rest of the Kazovac like? So it sounds like you had a few casualties. Yeah, so there was there was uh there was five casualties from us and then seven from the A and A. It was a pretty yeah, it was pretty pretty chaotic. And what made it you'll you'll laugh at this, because the RAF at the RAF. But um we were in a we were in normal normal um you know fields, you know, when they're boxed off. So it was let's say it was two it was like three boxes of their fields or whatever they're called the poppy fields and there was four there was four fields and the corrugation did split them up like a crossroads they landed in every single one apart from the one that we put the smoke in they la- the first one they landed in was the one where the contact was happening the contact was happening still going on and the fucking chop chinook landed in the in that fucking field we we're like what are you doing and then it landed in the north Gunner, gunners want to get some rounds down mate <laughs> anyway so we, we were doing that. I mean, I've got a great photo of me and my mates. We were like, fuck, we're going home, mate. We're going home. So we were like, fucking, let's get a picture. So we got a picture, as you do. Um, um, I, I still remember to this day. I've got this, I had this Gucci knee pad. It was like gel. It's like proper soft. And I was running around going, who wants my knee pad? Who wants my knee pad? <laughs> my mate Archie's like, fucking HP, shut up. No one wants your fucking knee pad. Just fucking, like, bearing in mind they've got their fucking weapons in their in their shoulders, fucking getting rounds down. And I'm just <laughs> <laughs> like, who wants the knee pad? Who wants the knee pad? But we all, yeah, there was um, me, me, Buff, 
a couple of other lads. There was a lad who got a uh, MC from it. He was basically a JTAC lad. He was he got fragged pretty bad, but then he was still calling in air while he was on the stretcher. So it was pretty it's fucking alley. Yeah. That is a fucking yeah, alley. Yeah. yeah, mate, it is. And he got um, yeah, done fucking well for that. And then um, we anyway, we got back to, I remember getting on the chopper um, and the, the medic came up to me and he was like, you're right. I was like, because morphine for some reason just didn't do anything for me. I had two shots on the on the battlefield and nothing. I was still in a lot of pain. He was like, you're right. I was like, look, because I said to you about before my mate, you've gone, gone into shock. I was like, look, I'm fine. I'm just in a lot of pain. Just give me something for the pain. Go deal with Shep, my mate, who was fucking in rag because he's in sh- gone literally gone into shock and he was white and everything. And they're like, right, we're going to give you some ketamine. I was like, okay. So they gave me ketamine on a low flying helicopter. And I was like, whoa. And then, um, yeah. And then they asked me, yeah, they asked me again. I was like, you're right. I was like, no, but just give me some more. And they gave me some more. I was like, yes. <laughs> and then, and then I, we landed at, we landed at Bastion. And somehow I still remember this. I landed at Bastion. They put me on a, in a wheelchair and they were like, um, have they given you anything? I was like, yes, ketamine. Can I have some more? And they're like, yes, here we go. I was like, wow. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got you on some the... on as well. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then I got, I got on the, op- got on the operating table again. And then they were like, can I, I just said to them, can I have some more ketamine? They're like, yep, here we go. So I think I had like four shots of ketamine and I was fucking flying. Right. V- Veterans Day of Mind does not condone the use of ketamine. Wink. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah i mean i don't think i ever could like in a i don't because of that and you know I've, I've had mates who do that recreationally i don't think i ever could like i would never be a, i would never I would never say never to anything but i don't think i ever would just purely because i think that may put me in a state of sending me back because i remember playing a game of rugby probably about a year after or a year and a half after and I, I, cause I've got nerve damage in my arm. I made a tackle in my arm and it hit a nerve and my arm kind of spasmed and it went into the, And then I just thought I was back in Afghan. You weren't doing like, ketamine on the rugby pitch. No, I wasn't doing ketamine <laughs> on the rugby pitch. No, but it hit my arm and I did the same. My arm looked the same as it did after the right. explosion. So I was just, I, I like, get me off the field. And I kind of rolled off the field and, and then I, within like 30 seconds i was fine i was like what the fuck's just going on there i mean that yeah. is a flashback and that's a proper flashback yeah. yeah yeah you know they do exist like flashbacks and stuff do exist a lot, a lot of, i think there's a because di- there's the difference in there between a flashback and just something that reminds you of something but yeah i mean it makes sense because at the end of the day like all your nerves and everything are joined obviously kind of joined up so if one gets hit in the same way that's going to elicit that same response that you had you know um, you know, in that in that moment, so it makes total sense to me as a bro scientist. I, I understand. <laughs> <laughs> so, when you come, when you knew that your tour was over, then how did that feel? You know, to be leaving the company. Yeah, see, I didn't know the tour was over. I mean, yes, okay, then I did. Yeah, because I was going back to the UK. The, the first thing I I was on tour with my brother, and we were both in the same fob, Fox. and he was like, they they gave him the option. For some reason, he's just said for, to this day, he says, For some, I just knew you were okay. So I was like, I'm not going to waste because he would have given some, given someone would have, would have had to wait on R&R for me, for him to go and see me. He was like, No, is he fine? He's like, Yeah, he's fine. Well, then I don't need to see him. But it was about, you know, as long as he knew I was fine. And then I, my sister back home, as long as she knew I was fine. Um, but then I was going back and I was like, I'm 
to me, I was like, oh, early R&R. Mm. That's what the way I looked at it. Right. Because I had every mind in my head to get back out because we were still quite, well, it was three three months into the tour. So it's like, I, know, I know I'm called HP, but, you know, people started calling me HT. So, <laughs> you know. So, what, so what, what, what month was this, mate? This was June. This was June. June the, I can't remember, June the 26th. Mm. It was actually, yeah, June the 26th. It was the day after, the day after my mum, the day after my mum died. Not that day after, but like a few years later. So that's why it's quite, you know, it was quite a, like, fuck. It was a. What was it like being in um, a PB with your brother? It was good, but it was every time we had a casualty, the first thing I was thinking, I'm the older brother, I'm, I'm the oldest of us three. And, you know, like I've just said, mom, we lost our mum a few years before, so it was just us three. So I kind of like the head of the family, so so to speak. And every time, every, every time, because <laughs> I said, I've spoken to him about this, and every time I ever heard of a casualty, First thing in my head was thinking, fuck, like, is it going to be HA, bloody blah? Is it going to be my brother's zap number? And, you know, it, it never was. Did that thought go through my brother's head? Not a fucking chance. It never <laughs> went through his head. <laughs> yeah, no, I never thought about that, really. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's one of the it's one of the things that I think some people struggle with. They feel guilty for is because we've all had that. Someone gets hit, and you're like, "Oh God," because I know that's my mate's bottle. Ball. And then it's like you find out the other name. You're like, "Oh, thank God." And then you're like, "Oh fuck!" Now I feel bad because it's like people start to think like you're like, "Oh well, I wished it on them or something," which is obviously bollocks. One of the guys who I interviewed, uh, Tony Harris, his that he got injured. He got they were in a minefield. The jackal got whacked. And uh, he lost his leg, but he is that number started with HA. So I'm hearing it come over, and I'm first he's saying HA, and I'm thinking because my brother was his gunner on the on the jackals. I'm thinking fuck, and then I was relieved when it wasn't him, and then I just felt like a dick because I'm like, oh, that's shit. Because I'm relieved it's not him, but everyone's going to think like that, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. At the end of the day, you've got you like you've got your best mates, and that's. Like that's life. It doesn't mean that you wish anything on anyone else. You'd rather no one happen. But so if anyone's listening to that, you know you're not alone in thinking that. We've all thought that at some point, and then we've all felt jack for thinking it. Mm. You know, it's just something that every soldier, I think, goes through. When did you realise then that you, you know, that was you know that was that? So I came back and I did all the rehab, and we went to Headley Court, and I wanted to get um, upgraded, but for some reason they didn't upgrade me. And there was a guy I was. I remember doing the upper limbs course. And uh, if I can, oh mate, I was I was strong. I just had a little bit of a weak wrist because of my nerve damage, and they just wouldn't upgrade me. In. And they upgraded a rifles guy. I can't remember his name. But it was a full screw. He got shot in the chin and through the shoulder, and he was missing like his whole deltoid. And they upgraded him, and I was like, "You fucking, you're taking a piss. Like you didn't upgrade me, and all I've got is a little gay wrist, and he's missing a whole shoulder, and." Yeah, and then that was that was basically it. That was, and I was, if if I'm honest, I would, that was a that was a low point for me because all all I ever wanted to do was get back out there. And had I realised now what if I didn't know what I know now, I would have milked the fucking shit out of it because I would have got a lot more money. But because I got an infantier mindset, if I would have if I would have waited my injuries until they were meant to heal, 
because basically I went back to camp and then made the MO for my camp upgrade me pretty much straight away. It was just still too late to get back out there. And because I got upgraded within six months, my payout wasn't that much. Right. If I would have waited, done the actual whole term, I would have got like an extra 60 grand payout. I imagine there's a lot of people that have done that as well, mate, who's trying to get back out there as quickly as possible. Yeah. But what was the, uh, what was the Headley Court experience like for you? Yeah, Headley, mate, for me it was good. I only went there for two weeks and it was an upper limbs course and everything was – this was just before – so I, 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 it was just before Health for Heroes was big. Like had, Health for Heroes hadn't really gone into the Headley Court then, and it was still quite uh, new. And Health for Heroes was still relatively minor. Well, not minor, but it wasn't the the driving power it was in like the 2013, etc. So I kind of – but for me, it was good. You know, I just – with rehab for two weeks and just fucking full of blokes uh, there was some blokes who'd been injured on exercise there was one lad who there was a, a guy who got shot in his arm and he had sniped through his arm and he lost the whole use of his arm and it was just good to see a lot of people cutting around and then you had you'd obviously go past and you see all the um the the amputees fucking cutting around doing their shit and you're just like fuck I've got. I've only got a little scratch in my arm. I've got to sort my life out and get back out there. <laughs> yeah, is that is that kind of how you felt about it? it kind of felt a bit yeah. like what a bit like you were mincing. Yeah, for sure. Like even when I was in when I was in hospital, I had um, a nerve block put into my to put into my arm to stop the feeling of the nerves, and it leaked into my diaphragm, and it basically collapsed my diaphragm, and uh, my heart rate went from I think went down to like 20 odd even low 20s and and i couldn't breathe and i I could breathe but i was like every word i was saying i was like hello like it was one word at a time and then a breath so then um all of a sudden i had like doctors all around me and they you know they thought probably i could die or whatever so they uh, but then within 24 hours of taking that i was kind of back on my feet i was normal and then i looked around and like i said to you before i had the guy who had no had no legs and one arm and another amputee in a bed next to me and i was just like why am i doing it why am i taking up this bed space get me out of it and that, that was all when i was when that happened i was like, i just need to get out of it i'm like i'm taking up someone's bed space who needs it because this i can go anywhere and look after it because i've still got my arm let's talk about then the um your kind of transition out of the army. How did that come about and how did it, how did it go for you? Um, so I left to play, I wanted to play rugby professionally. And that's why I left because I was half decent player. And from, I mean, Royal Welsh was probably different because the Welsh, they, they love the rugby, but an infantry unit other than the Welsh in, in the British army, rugby is not a sport that is seen too highly of just because, it's a posh person sport. Um, and, you know, unless it was football or boxing in England. In England. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but the, so, so I was like, I was, I was, like, I was never going to be able to have a go at it. Cause I could have maybe transferred to another unit and then, you know, just carried on playing rugby, you know, in the Remy or whatever. Cause you know, I had loads of mates in the Remy from through rugby playing. I was like, oh, I could transfer there, but I was like, do I want to be in the Remy really? Like no, and then I thought, 
I was like, do I want to be anything else than infantry? Probably not. So I was like, I'll just leave. I'll just leave. And my, my mindset was like, I would rather regret leaving a job I loved to pursue a career of rugby than staying in r- army and always being that bit of man going, oh, I could have played professional rugby. Mm. Like now I know I couldn't play professional rugby because I was, my body just couldn't take it and, you know, probably wasn't good enough. But, you know, at least I gave it a go. Um, whereas if I'd have just stayed in, I would have had a good career. I'd have, you know, I, I loved the army. I was a good soldier. I could have, you know, flown through the ranks, but I would have always gone, oh, maybe if I'd have just played rugby, I could have done that. And, you know, and that, that's why I left. And then because of my injuries, I had a shoulder up just before I left the army as well. And it was meant to be like a, reconstruction surgery and I was meant to be fully 100% afterwards but then I left the army and then within nine months I had to retire from rugby and that's when I kind of hit my low point of leaving because I left the army I didn't really care what I was doing because I just wanted to play rugby and then I had to retire from rugby I was in a minimum wage job in a working in a factory and I'm like what have I done like Literally, what have I done? I was I was threaders, and it was just at the time where all the redundancies were happening. So I was trying to get back in, but but they had literally no one would take me, and it was maybe, redundancies from the army. Yeah, the re, yeah the voluntary redundancies, and then you know it was like the two thousand. I think it was two thousand and eleven or something like that. Two thousand ten, eleven, um, and then maybe you may think less of me, but please don't, because it never came through. But I even tried to join the RAF regiment as an officer. Peter, end the podcast. <laughs> Peter, end the podcast. <laughs> end, <laughs> end it. I don't want to look at his face. We've we've gone so long without having any RAF regiment on here. Well, I didn't. Luckily, and luckily, I didn't. Like I, I remember thinking, maybe, maybe this is the only way back in. And luckily, it never happened. And did was- you not consider suicide? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean that would have been a better option. That would have been a better There's option. Always options There's above a, the ramp. There's always another way. There's always <laughs> another way. Suicide might be one of them. Mate, I can I can understand. You know what, mate? Though you're not the first person who said that to me. I've had a few people before that I've had to block. Um, <laughs> now I've had a few people say to me like that they've they've gone to the army, and the army's like whatever. Like oh, you had asthma when you were 11 years old, and even though now you can run a seven and a half minute you know yeah. PFA we're not going to have you and but the RAF regiment I don't know they must have more lenient um, medical standards because like I've, I've had a few people go to and I think fair, you know fair play fair play because at the end of the day you can still do some good stuff there I can't believe I'm saying that L- luckily luckily for me they didn't take a C in three E's in my A level so it's good enough so I never went <laughs> so you can't get hang on the RAF, le- RAF regiment requires no as an officer I try to go as an officer oh as an officer yeah I try to because I could have I could have joined as an officer in the army but Again, I didn't want to join as an officer because who wants to be an officer? It's a double barrel surname, mate. Yeah, exactly, mate. Yeah, but you don't, that 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 is that's qualified you right there. Yeah, but my mine's a different one. Mine's just because I got so many dads. Not... You play rugby. You yeah, got a double barrel surname. That's yeah. a shoe in for Sanders, know, And obviously, in, in in a unit where there's full of Manx and Geordies and Brummies, um, and I ain't got an accent, so I'm posh to everyone. You 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 would have loved it in the Royal Welsh, mate. Like they took rugby so seriously, they'd pull blokes from tour. Like they pull blokes from tour to have them come back and play rugby. Yeah, we played well with. Is it two? One more? Who was a Cyprus? Was it two or one? 
That was one one that was at Cyprus. Yeah. Two two's two's the one that had the better the the better team when when I was around. Well, I, not that I was playing. <laughs> so I, yeah, I played with a lot of the guys in um from one more Welsh. Yeah, it was good. Uh, it was well, the Welsh always because you know Welsh is fucking. That's what I look. I remember the first time I ever went to Wales. Um, as playing rugby, I went. We went and played. Uh, who did we play? Like fucking Swansea Uni or something like that. No, Cardiff Uni, something like that. I got off, and obviously you got the Millennium Stadium right there at the, st- at the station. You got rugby shops. I'm like, you can't find any rugby shops in the, in England, but fucking. And then going there, I was obviously at the Union Student Union in Cardiff Uni, and birds are like, oh, you just say you play rugby, and they love you. I'm like fucking, hell, what is this? This is amazing. I'm moving to Wales. Right, the the fact that the Millennium Stadium is in the middle of Cardiff is what for me makes it the best stadium in the UK. Yeah, like right there. Because it's the only one where you can go, you can be on the piss, you go in the stadium, you come straight back out on the piss, the streets are packed. Everywhere else, don't get me wrong, I've been at Wembley, great stadium, been at Murrayfield, great stadium, you know, but like, and been at Lansdowne Road, great stadium, but none of them are in the middle of the fucking city. You know, I think that's what makes it so cool. Watch your game then go jumping jacks. Some fucking down, oh, down the street. Jumping jacks, boy! <laughs> what a play. Are you fucking talking, mate? Wow, fucking hell, mate. You're bringing back some yeah. memories there. Fucking hell, mate. That's mad. I, I haven't been to a rugby game for, for ages, mate, to be honest. It's one of those ones where I, I went in a kind of golden age of rugby where you could get, you know, like you could even as a student, you could go and watch rugby games. Like, things weren't priced out, and then you would go to your jumping jacks and stuff afterwards. But now, mate, it's just like, I think it's... I think it's the same in a lot of sports, really. The, I think normal fans are kind of get priced out and it's become more of a day out for people for a spectacle and a lot of people in there. The atmospheres and stuff aren't as intense as they used to be because a lot of people don't actually know what's going on on the pitch. I'm fucking going to watch an England game. It's like 100, over 100 quid to watch an England game. You know, how's that fair? Fucking bastards. Well, not that you'd want to watch him. <laughs> no, I mean, you could, you literally couldn't pay me to go to... It's you know what, mate. It's almost like the risk reward of being an infantry soldier. If you go to, if you go to um, Twickenham to watch Wales and Wales win, oh yeah, you've gambled and won yeah. the most brilliant experience ever. But on the other hand, you, there's an experience worse than dying, which would be being Twickenham as England are winning and sw- singing "Swing Low, Sweet Chariot." I can't think of anything worse. To be yeah. honest, hey, I am um, after after Afghan and everything. I ended up. Being lucky and played and played again rugby for the combined services under twenty threes, and I scored at Twickenham, and uh, to me that was to this day one of the proudest moments of my life. And uh, as as I knelt down, as I went to score, I knelt down and kissed the ball. And there's a picture of me like putting the ball down between my legs. I was like, what a loser! But still, I think I wouldn't change it for the world. <laughs> no, mate, that's cool. Yeah. That's cool, mate. Be proud. Be proud of who you are, mate. Come <laughs> on, that's a big step up from nearly joining the Raf Regiment. Yeah. <laughs> so when when you when you came out then, mate, and you went through that what the fuck kind of period, how, how did you come out of that? Um, yeah, so. Mate, I, when I say I was low, I was like, I would be on the phone to my brother and he would be like, he would say he would hang up and he'd be like, fuck, like I'm worried for my, like, don't get me wrong. I was never suicidal. I was never like, but I was, I was low and I was, and he was like, he was worried for me. And then and he, he ended up convincing me. I was, ended up getting a loan out to then do my, because for some reason I didn't get enhanced earning credits because there was an admin error. And anyway, so I had to get a loan out to, Shocker. yeah, it's a joke. Ended up paying for my CP course and then just 
Um, within finishing my CP course, I moved to London and just started doing doing working on the scene in London. Um, but within probably within, but that nine month period before that happened was just yeah, was just pretty low. And luckily, my brother was there to just kind of guide me out of it and just be like, right, do this. Um, and yeah, I was very fortunate to be there. And then you know, and that's why one of the things when I started my podcast is I wanted to give people the opportunity to speak, you know, listen to people who had been in similar situations. Cause you know, as we all, when you're in the army, you don't think about, you don't think about what's out there. Like I know so many blokes who have, who are getting out of the army and you're like, what are you going to do in Siri street? It's not all sunshine and roses. It's a quote in Rocky Balboa, but it's, it's not, you know, it's fucking, it's, it's hard. And you, 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 you got an easy life in the army and people don't realize how easy it is. Man, how many times are you sitting there playing fucking cod on your bed? Like, you know, like after a naffy break and they say, yeah, come back 30, after 30% lunch. of the day, yeah. 30% of the day, yeah. probably you like, come back after naffy, you know, you're like, Oh, I've just done PT. Right. We'll have you back here at 11. It's like eight thirty in the morning. You're like, all right, okay, Roger. You know, have to get paid to do fizz. Yeah. Get paid to do fizz. And this is, this is one thing I want to bring up. And, People always, people always ask like the difference between, you know, you've got infantry or you, you got infantry and what, what the difference is paras, Marines and infantry. Cause it, I work in the CP field and you know, you're full of the different, different aspects, but yeah, you know, correct me if I'm wrong from an infantry unit. Most people, if you went to a gym any given day, there would probably be about four or five people in there in, in what there was in my gym. Because an infantry, a normal infantry unit, their mentality is it's the army's job to keep me fit. And it's not my job to keep myself fit. So they'll be like, come five o'clock. They'll be like, right, who's going to the pub? Or who's going, you know, going out to piss or anything. Whereas I think Marines of Power is a little bit more, you know, they'll probably be in the gym because their vein is a bit vainer. Yeah, well, I, I was a bit packed, to be honest, mate. But it was because everyone was like, no one was in there trying to do like it was it was fucking tries and checks yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, but but everyone was on art massive to be fair mate one of the most brave acts of heroism i ever saw was after a rocket hit the gym in iraq and the, the tent went on fire boys running in to rescue the weights you know <laughs> from the fire um and um yeah I, I, and i think you know there's definitely a culture of weightlifting in the battalion that 100% but i agree with you mate like i was talking to um a lad the other day and we were just saying that when you and me joined, um, and it's probably the same for almost any listener our age, it was whoever your local unit was or whoever was in your life. If you had an uncle who was a para or an uncle that was Royal Welsh or whatever, that's probably who you're going to go to. Hmm. And these days, because everything's, there's podcasts like this out there, there's podcasts like yours out there, there's there's loads of great podcasts. Um, there's videos on YouTube, there's fucking TikTok fucking shit. Or, there's loads of information out there. So now I think the gap's going to go even more because I think in b- before the, the keen lads you'd have in every battalion now are probably going to go, well, actually, I'm going to go the Paras or I'm going to go the Marines um, because that seems like it's going to be more my vibe. And I think that I think that what you're talking about there, mate, that gap, I think, is going to get between line infantry and the Paras and that, I think it's going to get a lot bigger. Well, they'll join the Rangers, mate. They'll, they'll join the Rangers. If if there any if I mean who knows how that's going to pan out, mate. To be <laughs> honest, I've got um, let's let's call me a skeptic on that one. <laughs> you know, 
I mean, but, you know, because, well, I mean, in a battalion, you've got your recce platoon, haven't you? Mm. Where, like, a lot of people end up, a lot of people, and then you've got your mortar platoon, <laughs> and we all know who goes to mortar, yeah. as much as I love you lads. Um, and I just think that that's kind of be, but that's going to happen more on a battalion scale now. People are going to go, because everyone's heard of everyone now. You know you know everything. You know how to go about joining. Mm. And, like, it used to be before, but, you, you know, you might go, and this might be an exaggerated example, but I'm sure it's happened to some people. You'd be like, Oh, I want to join the Paris. Well, we're not the Paris aren't recruiting right now. No, nah, no, nah, you need to come in and join the Welsh. And sixteen year old lad goes, Oh, okay. Hmm. You know what I mean? Like that's definitely what happened. So uh, yeah, I think that I think that's gonna happen, mate. Um and you know, it's it's a it's a shame though, mate, because I mean, one, you do get paid to do fizz, which is fucking great, but like I mean, I haven't got it all in my arms, so I can't really complain. I'm not missing any legs and limbs. But Fact is, as you get older, the accumulated wear and tear does add up. Mm. And for me, one of the best things in life is to be ridiculously fit. Like that thought when you could just go, oh, you see that like mountain top? It's two, three miles away. Let's just run up it. That's just me. That's amazing. No, there's no substitute for being fit. Like at the minute, I don't. I don't do any fucking cardio fitness wise. <laughs> I'm just all about being as strong as I can. And I like being strong. I'm, I've, you know, I've never been stronger in my life. However, you give me a flight of stairs and told me to run up them. I'll be hanging out my ass. However, there's been times in my life where I've been fit as a fiddle, you know, and, and there is no substitute for being fit. You know, you go up a flight of stairs and you don't, you don't feel anything. You, you feel like, oh, fuck. And what, you know, I used to always take the fucking stairs on the tube. Whereas now I'm like, nah, I'll just stick on the escalator, mate. Thank you very much. Why are you taking a tube in the first place with peasants, <laughs> mate? Where's your helicopter? <laughs> um, like, yeah, mate, I'll tell you, because I got the strongest I've been during lockdown. I bought the proper setup for the mm. house and everything. And the feeling of, like, breaking a, a PR or whatever, or PB, sorry, shows how often I break them, um, is is great. But that doesn't uh, that doesn't compare to clearing the top of a mountain that you've been looking at you've as you're you're going up there for a fucking hour or whatever and then you get to the top and you just like you turn back and you're like i fucking ran up mm. that because you know it's that there's a few seconds of effort going to the big lift whereas that like it's harder basically let's just be fucking honest running up a, <laughs> it's, it it's is harder. harder it takes way more it, it takes way more out of you mentally oh yeah to do things like ta- like hard tabs log runs mate Remember log runs? They're fucking hard, I mean. Oh, <laughs> but but when you're doing them, you're like, oh, I'm not really in the mood for this, and you start getting into the mood, don't you? And then you do it, and you do well, and you win it, and you're just fucking you're buzzing. And like, I I feel sorry, mate, for people that don't have never got to push themselves to the limits physically. I really do. But, but there's people that do. There's people that go through their life who never. It's crazy to think how little amount like the, how little percentage of people actually look after themselves like fucking it blows my mind blows my mind and you know we're in this we're in the situation we are now with you know everyone's kicking off about fucking covid and all that did your cat just open the door behind you mate that's dead impressive yeah, it's my missus coming. I, your cat, I saw your cat getting off the bed and then the door opened and i was like is this cat learning how to open doors it's like the velociraptor in jurassic park um, the other one, the other one as well, mate, is education. People who just don't like they get to a certain point and like just like, just can't leave school. Just going to give up, give up on education now. I know it, know everything. But annoyingly, I used to, so I did my I did my A levels and I joined I joined the army like 
the week after I finished my A-level. So I didn't have any like time off. I was like, no, I just want to get, didn't really focus on my, didn't really focus on my thingies, whatever. And then all of a sudden I remember sitting, I remember sitting in like on a stag somewhere on, on like Tech X3 or something like that. And I'm like, just remembered some question from my exam and maths exam. And I was like, now I know the answer. I'm like, fucking idiot. Like four months too late. Like, why do I remember it now? I didn't know it then. <laughs> mm-hmm. How do you like to learn? Like what's the kind of like formatting that works best for you? Audiobooks for me are, are great. I'm not, I'm, I'm dyslexic, so I can't read very well. Um, I read like, I would read out loud and it's very slow and poor. So for me, listening audiobooks is how I listen and how I learn. Um, yeah, and podcasts, like fucking, they're free as well. It's mega. Yeah, exactly. Well, don't tell me. I do want to try and flog some audiobooks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, What's your favorite book? Gar- Brother Brother Brother. 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 No, I actually read that one. I've got your other one, Legion. I've got your Legion audiobook. Thanks, bro. Um, but the Brothers in Arm I read just for me, because I, I do, I do, I just takes forever for me to read a book because I'm so slow at reading. And so I do tend to try and every now and then read a book to make myself better. I love audiobooks, mate. I love audiobooks. I love podcasts. Um, like I, I, I've, I, I feel like now it's like, I get it in the past that, okay, there was limitations really for kind of learning and stuff, but now there, there just isn't like a limitation. There's so much stuff out there. A lot of it's free. Yeah. Everyone has a fucking phone that they can listen to. And like the great thing about podcasts and audiobooks, you can do it while you're doing your fizz, do it while you're in your car. You know, it's like, look, if you don't want to do it, fine. If you want to listen to music in the car on your way to and from work every day, but that say, let's say 20, 30 minutes in the car every day, that's like an audiobook a week. That's 50, 50 books over the course of a year that you could just get down you by just sitting in your car on the way to work. Time you're going to spend in there anyway. Do you listen to it spending time and a half as well? I, I go for I'm a, I'm a 1.2 man. 1.2. But it depends on the author, mate, because um, some authors, like someone like, I like, say, Jordan Peterson audiobooks. I want to listen to him in the normal time because I quite enjoy listening to Jordan Peterson speak. Um, other authors, one of the things that does bug me is when someone writes nonfiction and then doesn't narrate their own book. Because if I've listened to someone's po- on a podcast and then I go and listen to their audio book, it's just too jarring for me because I've already kind of got that person's voice in my head. So those, if, if I'm really after that information, then I'll kind of blast through it on like a 1.2 or something. Um, but um, I, try, I try and get in. I, I'm not saying I do every day, mate, but I do try and get in like, I try and get in at least half an hour of podcasting on audio books you know, every day. I'm the same, mate. I'm the same. It's just, it's quick, isn't it? Like, plus the radio shit now, anyway. Music's terrible. I mean, if anyone lives in the London area, Smooth FM's the only radio station I have on. What's, what's on Smooth FM, mate? Like, classics, mate. 70s, 80s. There's no song on there that's a shit song. They're like, Elwyn John coming out of the radio. No, it's great, mate. Fucking brilliant. None of this Capital Radio with fucking music in there. What about Corrupt FM, mate? Corrupt the, uh... FM. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, mate. No, I, I love music, mate. They're Don't literally, wrong. They're literally a... down the road for me. What, is Corrupt FM? Yeah. Where, where, why? Where, where's that? Well, I'm in Ealing, and Brentford is down down the road. Literally just down the road. I'll get it on. Um, mate, there's another thing I want to speak to you about before uh, before we wrap this up, mate. It's just, <clears throat> you know, obviously now you've got, got your work going you know obviously the army days are, are behind you 
what is the, the what is the kind of things that you look forward to you know in life now so when you're a young man you look forward to the infantry days and things what's the, what's kind of replaced that for you now at this stage of your life just being happy mate that's that's really all i care about is being happy you know i, I see a lot of people in life that they're wealthy um and i go away and I'm lucky to go all over the world, but I see a lot of people who are wealthy and unhappy and I know I'm far happier than a lot of people. So to me, it's the simple things. It's keeping, keeping my mind happy by going to the gym. I love going to the gym. I love working out. I don't think I'd ever stop. So as long as I'm doing that and, um, spending time at home, I mean, it sounds boring as shit, but you know, I, to me, I've done all that going out. So I just look forward to being home and, um, you know, spending time with my missus, trying my cat not to fucking kill me, you know, or me kill the cat. But um, <clears throat> I just can't wait to get a dog and sit there and just look at look at the cat like fuck <laughs> off. Um, mate, mate, like what? What's the, what kind of training? Do you, what kind of training are you doing down the gym? Like, are you just all about like low reps, high weight, that kind of stuff? Yeah, so I I Olympic weightlift, so and I compete I compete in that, and I'm actually got a comp on Sunday, so. I wasn't meant to be cutting weight, but I've just chinned it off and I'm just <laughs> going in the heavier weight class. But, um, but yeah, I, I started doing that, mate, and basically it's just legs every day. That's, that's all I do. I just do legs, um, some form of legs every day and snatches, cleaning jerks. Um, but, yeah, it's to, to me it's good. I, mean, I, fucking, I can snatch 150 kilos. What, what snatch them? Is that sticking off your head? Yeah, straight away. So it's from the floor to overhead. And 150 kilos, and like, if you'd have told me I was doing that like five years ago, I'd have punched in the face. It's like that's ridiculous. You must, you must have a lower back of steel. Yeah, yeah, but how? I don't know because I got shoulders of glass. Where, where, where does that power come from? Is it like a hip motion or what? Yeah, it's, well, it's the legs, mate, as well. It's the legs and the back. Yeah, and it's just, I guess, technique. There's a lot of technique to it as well. Um, but yeah, that's that's what I do, mate. And it, and that will only go for so long because I'm 33 now, and I've got probably another three years left of that i reckon because you start getting you you'll reach a peak of strength and then i'm not going to do it if i'm going to get if my numbers are going to go down as soon as my numbers start going down i'll stop doing it and then i know i need to be fit that you're never going to see like i'm 100 and i'm 105 kilos Fucking, how, how much what's that what, hang on, i'm gonna do some maths here it's 200 what's that 215 pounds 220 pounds something like that. no 240 let's have a look at your arms so I can tell the listeners. Oh, right. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sensing. Sensing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I can, I can, I can corroborate that he has good arms on him, listeners. Because so I know some of the listeners would be worried that you were missing arms day, mate. But I can corroborate that he has arms. <laughs> no, but um, you know, but you're never gonna, you never see many fifty-plus-year-olds cutting around at 105 kilos here. So, mate, thanks so much for your time today. Really appreciate it, bro. I've enjoyed the chat. It's fucking flown by. Um, let's do it again, mate. And I just want to ask before you go, any final words, final thoughts, anything you want to pass on to the listeners before we bug out? No, I appreciate you. Appreciate it coming on, mate. And, you know, both you know, podcasts like yours, podcasts like mine, it's all about getting people, like-minded people to talk about things. And, you know, although we didn't really go much into the mental health side of things, and I feel people listening to stories like ours it, it would allow people to start talking about that and that's really why you know i don't know why you started yours i'm sure it's similar to mine but i started my podcast about just getting blokes to talk about you know 
the stories because a lot of blokes don't talk about war and it's just good for people to get talking so that's all i'm just encouraging people to do is just start start talking to each other i did it for money mate and i failed miserably (laughs) (laughs) all right bro uh mate thanks so much for coming on let just let people know where they can find you actually just before we we finish up with it of course obviously my podcast on all uh, the real podcast it's on all podcast platforms and you can find me on Instagram. I was on Facebook, but I chinned it off. I really want to chin off Instagram, but I wouldn't be able to DM you then, mate. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, if, if anyone, if anyone wants, you know, I mean, I'm boring anyway, so don't want to talk to me. But some of the, some have had some great people on my podcast, so yeah, go over, including yourself, but go over and have a listen. Agreed, mate. Cheers for coming on today, bro. I'll catch you soon. Yeah, cheers, mate. Awesome, mate. Thanks. All right, guys, thanks for listening today. Dave, cheers for coming on, mate. Enjoyed the chat. Um, guys, you know the score. If you enjoyed today's episode, please tell a mate, please share a mate. If you don't have mates, go out and mate mates and then just use them to bump up our podcast listenership numbers. Um, can't grow without you. We don't run ads. Um, what, what I mean by run ads is we don't have stuff come up on people's timeline saying, like, listen to me. We need you guys to do that. Basically, you are our unpaid peasants, but we need to go out there and spread the word on the podcast. And uh, I want to say thanks again to Royal British Legion for making today possible. Couldn't do this without them. Combat Fuel for your juicy gains. Zulu Alpha straps for your straps worn by frontline operators around the world. We have loads more episodes coming up, guys. Um, I, I'm really enjoying being back in the rhythm of this at the moment. Peter doing a great job down at the studio here, and it's just been a real kind of... It's uh, just been a lot of fun, to be honest, guys, to to hammer these out, um, being back in the studio and, and, and getting, like, a constant flow of, of like, full-length episodes back out there. So thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing them. I'll catch you next time, and I love you. Bye. Yeah. Listen. You told me not to worry and you wouldn't break my heart You told me you were sorry and my whole world fell apart You said it's not my fault and yeah I've never done you wrong I'm grinding to a halt now I can see you're moving on I promised I'd get better and I told you things would change You keep me to the gutter yeah I'll never be the same I've gotta let you go now live your life and spread your wings And yeah you put on quite a show and pulled the puppet strings And are you sure that you don't want me? Remember all the pain or maybe you should thank me your loss and my gain I'm leaving now forever I won't hang my head in shame But yeah, you've taken me for granted And you should feel ashamed You sold a dream to all of us A dream that we'd all die for A reason for us all to live And something we could fight for I might just help a man up to his feet Or hold a newborn But no matter what I do My hands remembering my rifle, yeah Life's hard, I know that Still wouldn't change shit I wouldn't go back, yeah I wouldn't go back Feelings I hold back Memories fade, yeah They go fast, yeah They go fast Good times to come and go Survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step I guess, yeah, I suppose Good times to come and go Survive the highs and lows Just take it step by step